Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. minute after seven you're listening to SENZ the telephone number is 0800 150 the lines are open if you do want to phone the programme we're with you through to 11 o'clock tonight you can text us here on 8833 John Harker out of Australia will join us very shortly we'll get his thoughts on Australia's victory over the West Indies and the first test of their summer not big crowds in Perth there wasn't a great crowd for the one day between Australia and England at the MCG. We don't seem to be getting the crowds we once did. What is going on with cricket? How do we capture, recapture the magic of the 1980s, the 1990s? The Australian men's softball team won the World Championships here. How much coverage did that get? And the Australian football team, where do they now sit in the annals of Australian sporting history? We'll have that chat with John Harker. DJ Forbes on the programme after eight. We will look at uh, no more sevens here in Hamilton or Wellington. Uh, It just lost its way, didn't it? The fun police shut it down in Wellington. Got rid of the alcohol, got rid of the party. It's never been the same since. What once was the hottest ticket in town? Well, just simply no demand at the moment for it. After... 8.30, 8.30, David Turner, we'll look back on the year of motorsport. Shane Van Gisbergen wrapping up another Supercars Championship. We've got Armstrong heading across to the Indy Cars. Uh, so plenty again happening in the world of motorsport. Has motorsport ever been in a better place than it currently is at the moment? Say, since what, the 1960s, the 1970s? 0800 150 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. We will also catch up with Dale Budge around about 9.30 tonight. Uh, Dale going to review and reflect on the Tuatara, the baseball team winning a very big series in Perth over the weekend, three games to one, very, very hard place to play. And the Tuatara really starting to show that they might just be the real deal. They could go the whole way. Mind you, the Brisbane Bandits um, are having an exceptional season so far. Not quite halfway through the season, 40 regular games in the season before they do go into the playoffs home series this weekend against Melbourne at North Harbour Stadium. We will talk football after 10 o'clock as well. Great to see England go through to the quarterfinals. They will take on the French. The French comfortably getting the job done against Poland. Some more big games to come tomorrow morning. Let's bring Niv into the programme producing tonight. Niv, good afternoon, good evening, welcome. How are you? I'm very good, thanks, Mark. How are you? Good, you're in a Liverpool shirt. You're clearly a very intelligent man. (laughs) They've said that about me. Uh, I love the team. Um, 
granddad, dad, or Liverpool supporters. So didn't really have a choice. Now, where are your origins originally from? Uh, I was born in South Africa, but yep. my great-grandparents come from India. Okay, so I'm just trying to work out the Liverpool connection along the way, <laughs> that's all. Well, it's interesting you ask that. Uh, it's because South Africa is on European time, and so they get to watch EPL um, at the uh, at the lovely times of 6pm, 8pm, not like us, 2am, 3am, 4am. So um, it's massive in South Africa. Like, they'll have no connections whatsoever to Manchester United, to Arsenal, to Liverpool, but they'll straight up fight fight on the streets over it over there. So they're mm. pretty pretty hardcore in South Africa when it comes to EPL. Yeah, good to see Jordan Henderson today starting for England and scoring that goal and having that Liverpool influence. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. I think uh, he's underappreciated. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't think he's had his best season, and I can understand why Klopp's perhaps rotating him, but I think if you're going to bring in Bellingham, you're going to have the likes... Um, of Phil Foden, and you're going to have um, Saka and some of those other young guys. You just need to have youthful exuberance, but you just need to have that little bit of experience as well. And I think it's the experience that he brings. And sometimes you can't always measure that, can you? It's not always tangible. Totally agree. And uh, that sort of echoes the thoughts of Jude Bellingham. Um, I'm not sure if you caught his kind words about Jordan Henderson after... Not only today's match, but the last pool match. Um, he, he he talked about how having the intensity and leadership of Jordan Henderson um, and his work rate just sort of allows Jude Bellingham to play a little bit more forward um, in a way that he isn't able to, say, if Mason Mount is in the lineup. And, um, and that just allows Declan Rice to clean up behind them. So, you know, as a Liverpool man, I am quietly hopeful that Jude Bellingham will put pen to paper in January with the Reds. And yeah, so and pay him what you need to pay him. Just get this deal done. Get this deal done. They need this guy. I think all things say that he's coming, but clearly off the back of this World Cup, his price is going up. There's going to be a lot more demand. The Sp- Spanish clubs will want him. He's arguably about to become the best midfielder in the world, mm-hmm. and they need, to, they need to pounce. Now, just try putting a zero in front of the four on that number. All right, we'll do. Okay, we're just trying to get hold of John Harker. We can't get through at the moment. So I'm just suggesting that we put a zero in front of the 400 and try that number. Um, very good broadcaster, John Harker. He's going to join us very shortly on the program. Yeah, it's been a great World Cup, hasn't it? Now we get into the business end. No second life. I tell you what, I think England are going to have their work cut out against France. I think if France press um, and really put England under a little bit of pressure. I still think there is a question mark over that back four for England. Seven minutes after seven. We'll take a break and we'll come back with John Harker here on SENZ. 0800 150811 is the number. 8833 is the text number. That must be my cue. It is 11 minutes after 7. 0800 is the number. If you do wish to join us here on SENZ, text us here on 8833. Just interesting to see yesterday that Australia won that first test against the West Indies by 164 runs. 598 for four declared and then 182 for two declared. The West Indies reply all out for 283 and 333. This game was played in Perth. And 
it looked like a fairly abysmal crowd across the five days. And I'm noticing a similar thing here in New Zealand. We saw the crowd at the MCG for a one-day international between England and Australia had what they said 10,000. It looked like about 5,000. So what is going on? Where is the engagement in cricket? Why are people no longer watching it? When did this shift begin? When did it occur? What's causing it? John Harker, broadcaster out of Australia, joins us on the programme. John, good evening. Welcome. G'day, Wado. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you, John. Uh, John, why are people not watching the cricket? What, what's happening? What's going oh, on? Oh, well, that, well, I think one day are, are all but dead. They're on their, they're, they're on their, their last legs, um, for sure. But I think that whoever was the absolute genius that decided to schedule a test match to start in Perth on a Wednesday has got a lot to blame, uh, you know, seriously, as if as if people are going to turn up to the, the first couple of days. And then, of course, there was no engagement anyway. It, it, so it's, it's it's a series of things. But we, but Wednesday, the start of the test match. Now, it's different in a few days, of course, the, the, the day-nighter, because you can, you know, you, you can go. It's a pink ball test. Uh, so the, the Adelaide, I, I think they'll, I think they'll be, they'll, I might say that they'll fill it, but they'll be close to filling in Adelaide. But there was no one there yet. Scott Morrison could have had a birthday party with more people than there, I reckon, and, and people don't <laughs> tend to like him very much anymore. <laughs> so you're confident, though, come Adelaide, that the crowds will be back and that Test cricket is as popular as ever? Oh, I, I, I don't think Test cricket is as popular as ever. I think that's true, and I, and I think certainly the West Indies are light of, of other days, obviously. They're not the team that they were in the 90s and the 80s, or, or the 70s, for that matter, when they were a, a world powerhouse through those periods, but... Um, so it's it's not the most attractive team to go and see play because you just don't, you know, most cricket followers, unless they're desperados, wouldn't really know that many of them. And, you know, you think the Brathwaite could be both the, the, the top scorer and the top wicket-taker uh, in the in the match for the West Indies. Again, makes you, you know, question things. I know Roach is a terrific player and so forth, but they're just... They're not the superstars that they once were. If it was an Ashes series, yes, there would have been a lot more people there. One day, is, I think I think one day, is, they've passed their years by date a long time ago. Yeah, but you look at your big bash in Australia too, the T20 competition, and there's the, we've seen falling numbers there. We've seen television um, interest in that drop off as well. Um, I'm just trying to, and I've asked a number of people this, How do? what's the solution here? How do we recapture the buzz of the 1980s and the 1990s with the coloured clothing? Yeah, and and I think I think pink ball cricket is the way to go uh, for test matches. I think there should be more uh, day night test matches for a start. But I also I honestly think we're never going to recapture those days. Not 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 the. You think about where we come from. You're watching watching cricket with with a a coverage that was you know the camera was up one end, so you're you're watching the back of a batsman for a while for every second over. And then suddenly you've got cameras all over the place. The technology is fantastic. The stuff that they do at Fox in particular is unbelievably good. I think the commentators are great. I think uh, mostly that the what they're packaging on TV is wonderful, but the game just isn't what it was, and it's not as popular as it was. And mm. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't think I don't think we're ever going back to those glory days. Have we dumbed the players down too much? Are they not allowed to be themselves anymore? I mean, you've got a couple of characters. You've always had the odd sort of rogue in your team. Um, you've got David Warner there, um, but these days everything seems to be sort of so controlled that we don't get the personalities anymore. Uh, we've had the same thing here in New Zealand. You sort of go for a, you, you, you go to hear the interview, and it, it's just so damn cliched, and you you, you, yes. actually, you actually learn nothing. 
Yeah, we, we yearn for a Merv Hughes, don't we, or or, or, or a Dougie Wallace. You, you you yearn for those blokes that were, that were just larger-than-life characters, uh, either because of the way they play, played the game or some of the things they did off the field as well. There's no doubt about that, but I think that's said for almost all sports. You think about just how cliche the whole thing is, how boring, whether it's whether you're talking to the... Uh, you know, a, a rugby player, a rugby league player, a footballer, um, you know, soccer or, or a cricketer, they're, they're also media skilled. And the, the media guys seem to think that the uh, the mission is to get them to the point where they say nothing. Mm. And and, uh, and I, I think the public's sick of it. And, I, and to be honest, I think there is, um, sadly, they seem, from what I know of it, the Australian cricketers, a lot of good blokes in that team. And I, and I don't think they get... To, a chance to show it, and I don't, I don't think the, uh, the, the the media training and so forth is doing them any favours. I really mm-hmm. don't. Now, Lance Morris, not a lot of people in New Zealanders will know about him, but he's the fastest bowler in um, Sheffield Shield cricket. He's oh. been flown to Adelaide to join the Australian squad ahead of the second test because there is a little bit of a, yeah. a question mark over your skipper, Pat Cummins. What can you tell us about Lance Morris? Oh, he's quick. He's quick. He, look, he's taken 26 wickets at 18 this year. He's uh, He plays out of West Australia. Um, and of course, lots of uh, shield cricket played on the wacker, where it's not as bouncy as it was, but it's still it's still pretty quick. And uh, he's mighty fast. He'll he'll get into the the 150s, which is pretty unusual these days, as you know. Uh, and he'll get into the low 150s, and he'll get there pretty regularly. I don't think he'll play. He's 24, um, and he's mighty fast. They've brought Nesser in as well, the Queenslander. Uh, of course, nowhere near as quick, but moves the ball around well. I think they'll go with Boland. I don't think Cummings will play. I think they'll go with Boland. But I think Lance Morris is going to play at some stage in the, in the next year. And, and depending on what has, happens with injuries or so forth, mate, he's he's going to be a good one. Everybody that's, that's seen him up close say he's frightening. And there's not there's not much more scary on a cricket field than genuine pace, is there? When you've got someone that can bowl the way Tomo did, I'm not saying he's Tomo-esque yet, but if you're, if you're up there over 150, you're certainly in, in Brett Lee's... Uh, pace and it's it's scary. Mm. It intimidates people. Mm. Oh, I'd imagine. Well, I don't think you'll get a game, mate. I, I, I don't think you'll get a game in. Oh, sorry, in Adelaide. Um, I, I think that'd be really unusual. I think after what after the heroics of Bowling last year, I can't see how they can go past him. He's, he's already in the squad. I, I think they've got to get Bowling the ball. Mm. I just want to talk about it. Uh, Steve Smith, double hundred. Uh, 29th Test 100, average back up around about 63. Uh, is he still endeared by his Australian cricket fans? Was that a 100 people wanted to see? Because let's be honest, I think he'd been a little bit out of form over the last 12 months. Oh, he'd been very much out of form. You're quite right. And he's made some changes. You, you would have noticed the, the way his head is over the over the ball, much different, much less falling over to, uh, the, the off stump as he used to, uh, and a lot, lot less movement even uh, between balls. So he's, made, he's done some work. And you know, I think he is. Look, there's nothing that um, that wins back the Australian public more than runs when you're talking cricketers or wickets when you're talking bowlers. But um, I, I think the Australian cricket fans still have a soft spot for Steve Smith. I do. Um, yeah. there, there will be some that won't want him to captain uh, this week in Adelaide, but he will captain because um, I, I can't see Cummins playing. There will be some that won't want him to be captain, but I think the majority of Australian sports fans are forgiven, are forgiven Steve Smith, rightly or wrongly. And Marcus Lavergne, well, I'd imagine he's the next. Well, oh, he's, he's, he's already established in what nine test hundreds or ten test hundreds now. I mean, a double a double hundred followed by a, a second hundred in that second inning. 
um, what he's played. I don't think he's what about the eight people to do it? Yeah, I don't think he's quite played thirty tests yet, has he? And he sort of burst onto the scene in that Ashes series some years back, and has never really looked back. And you know what? He didn't make that many runs as a, as a shield cricketer. Like he's, he's, he's you, you, you just wouldn't have seen this coming. I think he averaged thirty four, thirty five in shield cricket, and he gets his, he gets his chance, and he's done done nothing but score runs. He's just a run machine, and and can't can't he talk? I, I, the, the, he'd drive you insane. He's a serial pest, obviously. If you were, if you were batting, if you were batting, and, he, and, and he's standing there at, at short leg, he would drive you insane. But you know the, the players seem to like him, and 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 he's, he's he just and he, he he seems to be there's nothing you can do nothing better than be lucky I reckon in cricket he, he gives away a few chances but they keep seeing they seem to just keep going to the, the to the grass so he's he's batting with a bit of luck as well but his his luck's held for a couple of years and uh, what he's averaging sixty odd it's quite unbelievable. Mm. Let's talk football. Knocked out by Argentina in a very very good game. How much nationalism around the soccer team? Oh, look, a tremendous, a tremendous amount. There's nothing like that. When you look at the scenes at Federation Square, just tens of thousands of people. So many so that they had to they had to move part of the crowd to one of the AFL grounds down the road. There's nothing that unites uh, any nation, I reckon, quite the same way as, as soccer does, as football does. Even as a non-soccer person, you know, when you're looking at it from the outside, looking in, you think there's nothing else that unites a country that way, particularly when you think you're going to get smashed. And, um, oh, you know, poor Matty Ryan. Well, that'll be something that'll haunt him forever. He's been such a great player. But that, you know, giving up that goal, in the end, you know, it could have so easily been one all. I know could have, should have, ifs, who knows. But, uh, and of course, the, the young bloke nearly stole it with, with seconds to go as well. Uh, could have easily uh, gone into extra time and then, mm. and then penalties. It was one It was one of the great events. I I was there when we beat when Charlie Yankos scored that goal back in 1988. I was I was there. I was on the sideline when when uh, we beat Argentina. It's a long time ago, 1988. I can't do the can't do the maths anymore because I'm so so damn old. But um, it just seems like a long time. So uh, to to have got, taken them that far and to see the way they celebrated after the game, the way Argentina jumped up and down and went crazy, they knew they'd been given a fight. They knew they'd been in a in a real match. You know. Um, I, I, I wish we could do the same when we play the All Blacks and just only just get beat as opposed to get smashed. But it was, you know, it was pretty good. And because the thing is, uh, what I, it's not something you'd expect to win. So to walk away with a two-one defeat to be the only the second team ever to get through that far, the only team ever to win two games at a at a World Cup Australian team, obviously I'm talking about. To do that, I think the country's pretty proud of all of them. Who do the Australians back now? Oh, I reckon. Australians being Australians, we'd love Argentina to go on and win. We'd love to say we got beaten by the team that won the whole thing. But but obviously, we've got to, as much as they're, they're the old enemy, obviously, we've got a soft spot for the Poms. Be great to see the Poms win. But um, but if it was Argentina, I think we'd be happy with that too. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to talk some softball. We've been hosting the Men's Softball World Championships. Now, globally, softball has always been the women's point of view. Baseball's always sort of been the men's point of view, but it is a yeah. sport that's been big in both countries. But we have seen growth in countries like Mexico. We've seen growth in countries like Venezuela, more European nations being played, Argentina, the defending world champions. But your mob, your mob won their second world softball championships over the weekend. Did it get any coverage at home? Got next to nothing. Uh, you know, you, uh, next to nothing. In fact, when you sent me the note to, to say, can you come on and have a chat today? Um, I was having to think about what we talk about and softball wouldn't have been in the top three dozen of things I thought you might talk about. Uh, 
it, it, it barely got a blip. Certainly, certainly no one would know that 18-year-old picture. Uh, uh, like I, his first name's Jack. Is it Des Grove? I mean, I, I barely know his name. Um, so it's 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 sad. But you know, they've they've just beaten the, they've just won the world title the second time. Time they beat Canada. It's a it's a great effort. But yeah, no, it's 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 hasn't caused a blip. Mm, okay, so as, you, as you're sort of um, counting down to Christmas, anything else on the sort of the radar in Australia that sort of got big news at the moment? I mean, you've you, you got those great traditions in January, you got the Boxing Day test, and then um, clearly got the Australian Tennis Open coming up. But any sort of other news over there, John? That Oh, I look, look both, both the, the, the Aussie Tennis Open and, and of course, they've now got those couple of other uh, tournaments that are happening uh, beforehand too, the, the couple of other ATP tournaments, which, which are good. Uh, but the, the other thing that is actually starting to gain a bit of attention is the fact that Live Golf is coming to Adelaide. I thought maybe the Australians wouldn't like it, but uh, I think the fact that they're bringing, you know, that you'll have uh, Cameron Smith and Leishman and the other boys uh, back playing in it, that's going to get that's going to get a bit more attention than I thought it would have done. But but apart from that, yeah, obviously it's all about the build up to the Boxing Day test against South Africa, and you know the the, the pink ball test will be a good thing to watch, mm. and and that goes well. Mm. But uh, but yeah. For me, Christmas is all about the Boxing Day test. Forget Christmas Day. It's about it's about floating around the pool uh, with the uh, the cricket on the radio on the TV on there. If the if the boys on the radio tell you something's happened, you know you get out and have a look, quick look at the uh, at the replay. Oh, Boxing that... Day is an absolute tradition in our family. I tell you. <laughs> no, look, I tell you, it's not a lot different at home. When we enjoy the Boxing Day test. I reckon there's more interest in the Australian summer here than there often is in the New Zealand side, just because of the way you package it and. Uh, your grounds. I always remember talking to the great New Zealand batsman Martin Crow, and he said, "What makes Australia special is he said you've got the best light for batting." And I guess you've got to be a world class batsman to truly understand that. It's you, you know this, John. Yeah. You talk to swimmers, and swimmers will tell you that it's a fast pool and a slow pool. And people go, "What do you mean it's a fast pool and a slow pool?" But it's all those little subtleties, isn't it? Absolutely. And couldn't he play Martin Crow? What a player! Yeah. What a player! Yeah. yeah but I look with the World Short Course Swimming Championship start uh, in a week. Uh, here in, in in Melbourne, and that hasn't caused much of a blip either, to be frank. And, and we've got Ariane Tipmus, uh, 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 yep. you know, new superstar, world record holder, and all that. She's, yep. she's actually, yeah, she's actually, she's actually in commentary. Um, but the one to watch, and I, I, it's, it's it's easy now, but six months ago, well before the, Olymp- the, the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games, the last couple of years, I, I just kept thinking, this girl, there's something special about her, Molly O'Callaghan. I, I tell you this, I think Molly O'Callaghan will beat Ariane Titmus the next time they go around in a 200 freestyle and will, and, and she'll beat um, uh, Emma McKean in a 100 freestyle. That's how good she is. Mm. And she's really something special. Why don't you have a, have a good look at her? She's going to be anything come Paris. Mm, fantastic. John Harkett, lovely to have you on the programme as always. Oh, we might catch up before. Good on your water. We might catch up before Christmas. And if we don't, enjoy Boxing Day, mate. I'm not going to mention Christmas because you've already made the point. It's all about Boxing Day in your house, John. It is, buddy, it is. So don't Enjoy bring, don't bring presents to John Harker's house on Christmas Day. Bring them on Boxing Day. <laughs> See you, buddy. See you, mate. There you go, Australian broadcaster John Harker on the program, giving us his, uh, yeah, just giving us his thoughts on a number of the Australian sporting issues. The Australians, they want Argentina to go and win. So I guess if you do get beaten by Argentina, they go and win it. You go, well, we got locked out by the eventual champions. Mind you, I think Australia, or Argentina already have that brand. I mean, it's like we're coming up against Argentina. I mean, nobody expects to beat Argentina. Uh, like Brazil, they've just got that reputation. And you actually go back and look at Argentina, 1978, Mario Kempis, um, I think... 
Aussie Ardiles, one of the great Spurs players in that 78 side, then 86. Hand of God, Diego Maradona. Always remember the first goal. It was Jose Luis Brown, the man with the Irish descent, I think was the commentary because the British commentator just had to somehow link Ireland or Great Britain somehow to the World Cup final. Do you know there's another one of those this World Cup? Uh, an Argentinian with Irish heritage. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Mind you, the Irish all around the world, aren't all they? All around the world. It's so funny, though, because his surname is Mac McAllister. McAllister, and, yeah. Yeah, and you're yeah like, that's well, right. He almost... Yeah. Did he score yesterday or came close to scoring, didn't he? Came close, I think. Yeah, he yeah. came very close to scoring. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. Always remember that anyway. But it's amazing how Argentina still have this great reputation, yet France potentially could go ahead of them with three World Cup victories if they win this one. That's crazy. That would be... Put them up there in legendary status. Uh, mm. Would it... <laughs> Would that put them in the top three sides of all time with Brazil and Germany? Oh, look, I think if Brazil go back, I think if France go back to back, you know, like anything, you need 10 or 20 years. You need the likes of, um, uh, you need the likes of Mbappe and stuff to probably retire. You need time, don't you, to really go. I always remember when the Chicago Bulls were with Jordan and that was, everyone was watching it in the early 1990s and they were saying, oh yeah, but can you really compare this team now to the Lakers sides and the Boston Celtics sides and these great sides of yesteryear? And then 10, 15 years later, there's only one team that everybody compares other teams with and it's the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls side. So yeah, sometimes you just need time, don't you? It is 29 minutes after seven. Telephone numbers 0800 150 That is 0800 150 Eight double one. If you do want to phone the program, you text us here on double eight double three. Twenty-six minutes away from eight o'clock, the big story coming out of the UK is that Eddie Jones will split from the Rugby Football Union over there. His seven-year reign as England coach over just nine months before the World Cup. There's been talk about Scott Robertson coming in and potentially filling the shoes. There's been talks of Warren Gatland, but they're now saying that Steve Borthwick, Jones' former right-hand man, Premiership-winning coach of Leicester, is widely expected to replace him. So, just demonstrates that it reinforces my point, this four-year planning for a Rugby World Cup is just an excuse for coaches who fail, who between World Cups can use their failings to say, oh yes, but we're building towards the Rugby World Cup. It's okay if we lose. Trust us, by the time the World Cup comes around, we'll show you the way we've changed the game. We'll let the world see what four years in the making has been all about. You know, New Zealand is starting to go down that path. We've seen it, haven't we, with Ian Foster? As a coach, in my opinion, simply a fraud. You go back to South Africa getting beaten by 57 points two years out from the Rugby World Cup and winning it in 2019. England changed their coach. Got a great chance of winning the Rugby World Cup. Got a really easy side of the draw. That Rugby World Cup on the New Zealand side, you've got France, you've got New Zealand, then come quarterfinal time, you've more than likely got Ireland and France and the four best teams in the world, two of them are going to be gone before we get to the semi-finals. England, they've got Argentina, France have got uh, Wales, have got Australia. 
There's a few other teams in there that might cause an upset, but I doubt it. Good on England for having the courage to part ways with Eddie Jones, not buy into the rhetoric, realise that they're in fact on a downward spiral, not on an upward curve, which is sort of the rhetoric and BS that Ian Foster will have us believe in this country. Only if we had the guts and the courage to have sacked Foster earlier in the year when they had the perfect window, the perfect opportunity. It'd be fascinating to know where the thinking is with New Zealand rugby in regards to the next All Black coach. Hopefully, hopefully, they've said to Scott Robertson, they've said to Tony Brown or they've said to Jamie Joseph, you are our next coach. Giving the heads up seven, eight months out, win or lose the World Cup, you're our next coach. Please don't go signing any other contracts. We want you. Here is a letter of intent. But please just keep it under the radar at the moment. I have no problem if they were to say to Ian Foster, Ian, you've been replaced. And people go, well, what incentive is in for Ian Foster? Well, plenty of incentive. Win the World Cup, Ian, because you're going to go down the worst all-black coach in history otherwise. That's the incentive to not throw the toys. You might want to comment on this. 0800 150 is the number. So Eddie Jones will split from England. Don't hear them talking about four-year plans, do you? Don't see their top players missing their club competitions, resting and rotating, wrapping up in cotton wool because they're tired. You don't see that, do you? But we do hear, because we've probably got some sports scientist in the background with an academic degree on the wall saying, you need to rest them. I know Sir Edmund Hillary conquered Mount Everest back in 1953 and when he came around the corner, he looked up and he said, I knocked the bastard off. That mentality, you can't have that mentality anymore. Everything's got to be measured. Absolute ridiculous rubbish. It's amazing how we've just dumbed players down, we've dumbed the game down. And everybody buys into it, and then the tier below buy into it. 21 minutes away from 8 o'clock. Graham, good evening, welcome. Hi, Graham. Yeah, there? Yeah, hi, Graham. How are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, oh, you couldn't have heard me for a minute there. Yeah, no, good, yep. Great. Yeah, no, interesting about Ian Jones. Oh, it's not Ian Jones. Uh, Eddie Jones. Um, yeah, no, I think it's um, good on England. Yeah, I, it's refreshing to actually hear that sort of, um, and you know, um, proactivist, proactivism, if you want to, or, you know, direct, direct action, you know, because... Um, as you know, in football, they do, they don't muck around. Um, you know, English football coaches, if they don't succeed, and you know they're down the road. And other in other countries, they do the same. And um, and you know they they've done it with their rugby union side. Yeah, I think it's um, you know this whole four year cycle thing. I know we've talked about it a lot, but I I think I don't think enough people actually do comment on it in the media. Um, it's a load of rubbish. You know, we I've said before, 1986, New Zealand rugby was a mess. 1987, they won the first World Cup. Yes, South Africa weren't there, but it was a great side. And, it, you know, all you need is a change, and all of a sudden, 
things get better, there's always well, the players well, well, available. Well, look how awful Australia were up to the last Rugby World Cup and they made the final and they came up against one of the great all-black sides, or not the last one, back in 2015. And the examples you give just highlight it. I mean, you imagine this. You spend three years three years after a World Cup, you just put your players out there, you play them, you win test matches, you win test matches. That inspires the next generation. That keeps your growth coming through. Um, that keeps the cycle going through. Then your young talent, you get that experience for the youthful exuberance, you get competition for players as you think about the Rugby World Cup, the year of the Rugby World Cup. But up until then, you just play rugby. You just have the best players playing, putting pressure on that tier below, and the tier below putting pressure on the top players. I mean, seriously. This, this, I, yeah. it, it, it's yep. just absolute rubbish. And the fact now England, OK, so they're going to inject a different... Look, I'm sure Eddie Jones is a really good coach, but after nine years, the message is stale. You know, same way of doing things. Now, the next coach, whether it be Borthwick, whoever, will come in. It will be probably very similar, but it'll just be said in a different way. It'll be coached in a different way. But the reality is it'll be a lot of the same stuff. But the players will feel regenerated. They got a fresh voice. And because of it, you'll see more energy individually and collectively. And they will be a very, very tough side to beat. It happens time and time again. I mean, Brendan McCullum, you know, I'm, I was very surprised with that. You know, look what he did, what he's done so far with England cricket. You know, a lot of people thought, oh, I was, you know, going over to England, the home of cricket. But he is a, a breath of fresh air. Well, you he's, know, he's, and, a vis- um, he's a visionary. Yeah. Well, you know, and Razor, of course, yeah, in, in, with the Crusaders, you know, couldn't win for eight years and all sorts was going on. You know, he comes in. One season, they've won it for the first time since 2008. And it on, you know, this isn't just the Crusaders I'm talking about, but it goes on and on. I could, you know, in all sports, you know, indiv- you know, in the team sports particularly, a coach will turn things around within three or four months. Not, it doesn't take three or four well, years. And, it doesn't, and the hijacking of MPC and Super Rugby... And I, you know, <clears throat> yeah. you know, the wider training, they really they got a squad of 50. Well, I mean, as I said, Graham, how has it helped the All Blacks this year, all that rubbish, all that resting at the start of the year? How did it help our damn All Black team against Ireland oh, and against Argentina know. and in the Northern Hemisphere Tour and in that test match we basically lost? Just How did it work? It didn't work. How did it help in 2019? It's just a load of absolute rubbish, mate. Now, if Scott Robertson doesn't get this All Black job, then what does it say to the rest of the coaches here in New Zealand? I mean, who, who does get it if it's not him because every other coach that we've let go overseas is, is signed up so what it ends up just being is a job for the boys well let's give it to somebody already in the coaching environment oh, because yeah, they, they, know. They, they know the way things are done but that's the problem it's been done the same way for too damn long exactly and you know the people on the street around New Zealand and I'm talking about here in Christchurch and if people say well you know the New Zealand Rugby Union are just you know are just completely they don't, people are, are completely cynical and had enough of the direction of New Zealand rugby because, you know, Ian Foster and, not, well, not singularly him, I mean, Steve Hansen particularly, you know, Mark Robinson's in the gun a lot, but believe me, he was not the one who sent the, set this train on, you know, from the station in terms of with this very, what? very sad destination they're going on at the moment. My, 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 before him. my prediction is we go out in the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup next year. We'll lose to either Ireland or, or, or um, we'll either lose to Ireland or South Africa in that quarterfinal. I think we've actually got a better chance of probably beating Ireland 
in that World Cup quarter than we have of beating South Africa. But I can't see us. I just can't see us getting out of that quarter final. I just haven't seen enough from this All Black team, and I just can't. No. I can't see it next year. You know, he'll still have Sam Kane in there. I mean, it's just. It's just yeah, yeah. dumb stuff. We still we, really won't have settled on our midfield combination. We, we haven't settled on anything. You know, we've had three years and we've still got different combinations every bloody week playing, mate. You just can't win that way, mate. Geordie was a fullback, now he's a second five. Oh, you I know. know. Um, oh, blah, blah, oh, blah. You know, Will, Will Jordan, the Will Jordan's the best fullback in the world and you yeah. can't even get a start, mate. Oh, yeah. I know. Well, you know, you won't get any argument out yeah. of me on that. Anyway. You know, he, won't, he, won't even get, he won't even get a test to even... You know, because you know, coaches do. You know, I know I'm not talking about rest and rotation, but they should have looked at that as just one as a one as a test to give them oh. a go. But oh, I know because I got wingers everywhere. Yeah. I, I, as you know, ironically, I can actually see Australia making the final as well. I can see Australia on the other side of the draw making the final, just proving the point, mate, of all this garbage. Yep. And there's a part of me, there's a small part of me, I mean, I want the All Blacks to win the World Cup, of course I do, but there's a small part of me (laughs) that does want to see teams like Australia go and do it because then it's just, you know, it it just just adds more weight to our arguments, Graham. It just proves actually we're the ones that know what we're talking about. And, you know, this All Black team is so over-resourced. They've got so many people telling them what to do. And, And I've worked with a lot of these academics, these sports science types guys, and they're very, very good at, you know, selling selling their case, but um, PowerPoint presentation. As I always, yeah, PowerPoint. As I always, as I always said, Graham, and I'm going to have to, I'm, I am going to have to move them. But as I've always said, mate, scientists once told if the earth was flat as well, Graham. Hey, lovely to chat, mate. Thank you. It yes. is 14 minutes. Good away, man. Yeah, yes. 14 minutes away from eight o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Uh, telephone number is 0800 If you do want to phone the program, you can test us here on double eight double three. Look, just updating the cricket for you too. We have got Pakistan intriguing fifth day here. So England have been actually fairly generous. They've set Pakistan a target of uh, 343 to win this test. Pakistan are 149 for three. Now remember, England scored 600 odd runs in a day. Pakistan in reply scored 500 and something odd runs. So this is a batting paradise. And I'm not sure that Jack Leach is a world-class spinner, and I'm not sure that England have world-class spinners. So good on Brennan McCullum for saying, Pakistan, go after this. We're happy to lose if you're good enough. We could have set you a mammoth total, and we potentially could have played out a draw, but we want to go for the win. McCullum gets it. McCullum realises that you're going to get interest in test cricket. You've got to make it exciting. He has vision. He is a game-changer. Has Ian Foster got vision? Is he a game changer? Hell no. We'll take a break. It is 13 minutes away from eight. That must be my cue. It is nine minutes away from eight o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. DJ Forbes on the program after eight o'clock to have a look at World Rugby. He has basically said that there will be no sevens tournament hosted in New Zealand. The one in January will be the last going forward. They're reducing it to seven tournaments. I, I don't have a problem with this, to be honest. Um... The Fun Police killed this, one of the great events held in Wellington every year and then, you know, one or two people go and ruin it for everyone, cut down the alcohol sales, the people that complained, once they got there, Wayne never turned up anyway. Um, Do we go and support live events? I'm not sure we do. It seems to me that places like Las Vegas, Canada, where there's a little bit of novelty 
and bigger populations seem to embrace it a little bit more. And I've got no problem with sevens maybe being the point of view in rugby to sort of spread the word. It's a little easy to understand. And we've seen countries like Kenya, like the United States, become genuine powerhouses in the sport. And so why not continue to take it to those growth areas? We'll get the thoughts of DJ Forbes. Updating the cricket for you. Pakistan 155 for three, chasing 343. Shaquille on 62. Rizwan on 29. Jimmy Anderson is bowling 9.2 overs, one for nine. But it pretty much looks like a desert. The playing wicket, not a lot happening. And I'd imagine well, you need to be taking two spinners in, don't you? Possibly even three spinners if the following tests in Pakistan or anything like the wicket that they're currently playing on. How do you score 500 runs in a day in a test? That was the ball just stopped. Does it, what, become a beach ball? Anyway, you can watch that live on Sky Sport 2 at the moment. Um, we will also talk with David Turner around about 8.30. David Turner, Mr Motorsport. So Shane Van Gisbergen wraps up the supercars. We knew that, but formally, formally over the weekend. Um... And we'll just get a little bit of a, his thoughts on the year as a whole. Highlights, lowlights, any other news that's come out regarding New Zealand drivers since we last uh, spoke to him uh, about three or four weeks ago. Then after nine o'clock, we will talk to Dale Budge. We will review the Auckland Tuatara baseball franchise. They were playing away in Perth. They ended up winning that series by three games to one. They now return home to take on Melbourne starting Friday night at North Harbour Stadium. A really, really hard place to go and win in Perth. So wonderful performance from the Tuatara. Just to encourage people too that if you do want something different, um, this weekend, um, over leading up to the new year, get yourself along to North Harbour Stadium. Try and catch a game of the Tuatara. Really high standard of baseball. Something different. It's got a real novelty factor about it. They do a really good job of entertaining you when you're in there. Any foul ball, any ball that goes into the stands, you get to keep. Kids have a field day. Just go down the right field line, a lot of foul balls down there. Walk away with the baseball, really cheap cost of entry. Parents have a good time, good concession stands. Um, and, and they do a really good job of entertaining you once you do get in there. And it's just a fascinating game. As I've said before, to give you an idea of baseball versus cricket, in baseball, if you fail seven out of ten times with the bat, you'd make the Hall of Fame in the United States because you'd be batting what they call 300 or 30%, which is world-class in baseball. So that just gives you an idea that if you're going along to see fours and sixes, you're probably not going to see too many, but it also makes those little moments really special. But there's base stealing and stuff that goes on. There's um, a lot of idiosyncrasies that go on, a little bit like, in test cricket when you've got that duel between the great batsman and the Shane Warne and the McGrath bowling at the other end and one they're working in unison I'm trying to frustrate the bowler at the other end the other trying to capitalise on that frustration baseball a lot of those little things go on we'll look at the FIFA Football World Cup we're also going to look at some NBA basketball around about 10.30 tonight so keep your thoughts coming double eight double three. you can phone us on 0800 
fight. Lovely to have some Pearl Jam. Great way to kick the show off. Love my Pearl Jam. Heading down to Wellington on Thursday. Actually going down to watch Guns N' Roses, the band that's been with me for a large part of my life. I'm not sure that Axl Rose's voice is quite what it once was, but going to a concert of a band that you sort of first saw back in 1988 at the Big Top here in Auckland. It's, it's a photo album, isn't it? They've been with you through so many aspects and parts of your life that certain songs just take you back to certain times and so thoroughly looking forward to it can't get myself to the Auckland gig because of baseball commitments with the Auckland Tuatara love to have gone to both Anyway, you're listening to SENZ. The telephone number is 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. The big news that's come out today is that New Zealand uh, is to miss out on hosting future Sevens World Series rugby tournaments. This is due to a shortened format as the international body reduces the number of tournaments on its calendar. It means that next month's Hamilton tournament will be the last in New Zealand in the foreseeable future. Now, New Zealand has held sevens tournaments on the World Circuit since 2000. Next month's Hamilton event will be the first since 2020 after COVID. And I guess it's probably left a lot of people here in New Zealand behind the scenes scratching their head. Well, one man who knows all about playing in front of crowds, particularly in Wellington, and is sevens icon DJ Forbes. He joins us on the programme. DJ, good evening. Welcome. How's it going? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, um, how do you feel about this, DJ, the fact that New Zealand will no longer host a sevens tournament? Is is it just it's time's up and there are other countries that perhaps um, might embrace it perhaps a little bit more than maybe New Zealanders have in recent times? Oh, I think everyone would be pretty disappointed. I mean, uh, I think everyone kind of knew eventually that was sort of the way of the world in terms of it being an Olympic sport and, and trying to reach, I guess, different parts of the globe, but I think as a pretty proud rugby nation and, you know, the both both the men and the women's love playing at home is the one opportunity in the World Series to get that chance. So it's yeah, it's gonna be pretty pretty sad. Yeah, what are your experiences of playing here in New Zealand and I'd imagine what playing at Wellington? <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, Wellington to be fair was, you know, the heyday of sevens uh, for me and that was probably, you know, one of the one of the events I definitely wanted to be a part of and uh, I know, you know, a lot of the other countries loved playing at you know at Wellington in front of a home. Uh, full pack stadium, so um, you know Hamilton did an awesome job trying to replicate that. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know it's last chance at it. You know, hopefully it goes out with a bang. But I guess it's you know um, signs of what's ahead in terms of yeah, like you said, a shortened format, and I think trying to reach different parts of the the world is what you know. I guess the, the, the governing bodies are after. Mm. How well do places like Las Vegas and Vancouver do it? I mean, they they, they do it well, and uh, you know to different part of the world and you know uh, the, 
sport of the sevens in, in particular are growing in those regions. Um, in terms of you know fans and everything turning out, I'd like to think that you know, they're just as passionate as us. So I don't think you know that's kind of um, part of the reason why we're missing out. It's just really you know, just a different place of the globe. But um, you know, getting to play in Las Vegas, you know, in the middle of the desert was was pretty cool, and obviously. Canada is, 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 a, is a bit of a spectacle, so you know, playing on, on that side of the world, it's like New Zealand, and probably a little bit more grand. But um, you know, I, I think in, in, when we're just regarding you know a venue, I think New Zealand is still mm. one of the best to be involved in. Mm. What about Hong Kong? Does it still have its stature? I mean, before we had it at the Olympics, and before we sort of had a Sevens World Cup, it was always the pinnacle. It was Sevens Wimbledon. You know, I remember watching it in the 80s and the 1990s, and if you won Hong Kong, you know, it was a great moment in New Zealand sport. Does it still have that? Does it still have that prestige? Yeah, I think it does. I was um, there, you know, a couple of months ago for the start of the World Series, and that was their first kind of hit, um, you know, out of, I guess, the, the COVID circumstances. So you know, they were doing everything they could to get it back on, on track, and definitely you still felt that kind of aura of, of Hong Kong. But, you know, saying that in, in a few years, um, you know they're going to be moving venue as well, so I think they may have you know got a, a, a bit of a head start on on where things were going in terms of the World Series, but um, yeah, you know it still felt like you know the, I guess the World Cup. I mean, having it at the Olympics has been great because now the rest of the country, rest of the world, start to take it seriously. More resource gets put into it; it becomes the pinnacle. But because it is now such the pinnacle event, has it perhaps created a problem that too many countries are now building? for four years and therefore perhaps the gloss on winning or losing some tournaments is not quite there anymore as long as you get the Olympics right? Um, well, I think there'll definitely be yeah, um, uh, a lot of countries that will go down that path knowing that, you know, and, and treating it you know, genuinely like a like a like a, a track and field athlete, and, and and trying to you know to pick you know every every four years. Um, I think for you know, those um, typical rugby nations, you'd like to think that you know if there's a World Cup up for grabs, or Com Games, or even a World Series, they'll be putting sort of everything into it. But I know you know even obviously the teams in New Zealand rugby would definitely a lot more strategic about you know um, trying to build and, and grow players. So you know there's um, people peaking and, and having the right people available. You know, come pinnacle time. Um, mm. But it's definitely, I think, you know, based on, I guess, countries that have different resources and, and different uh, holding the, the gold medal and, and different esteem will play a part. They're talking about a seven series circuit next year with the seventh of those basically deciding who is the overall season winner, who ultimately ends up, let's say, winning that year's World Cup or winning the championship. Do you like that format, that the top eight nations will be invited to that? Um, well, it's it's hard. I mean, you, you know, you, I guess the way it's going is you sort of want the you know the best of the best to be there. But I think it's so competitive now that there's so many other nations knocking on the door, and it's sort of it's hard to kind of separate. You know, and I'm sure everyone has seen, especially over the, the recent years, that it's, it's so it's so close. You know, <laughs> on the circuit. So I think it's going to have you know the, the benefits of that, but um, there'll also be some you know I guess some nations and, and, and a lot of countries that'll miss out just being, you know, it's, it's going to be so hard to be involved in that, that top eight. Mm. What have you made of the New Zealand Sevens team this year? Disappointing performance um, in Hong Kong. Uh, picked up a bronze medal, beat the United States over the weekends in Dubai. Can we read too much into that? Because I'd, I'd imagine by the high standards you and your teams have set, uh, New Zealand probably feel a little bit disappointed with those results. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll definitely be disappointed, but uh, there's definitely some, some good signs and 
Um, I think that kind of shows where Sevens is at. You know, you're on, on one end, you're missing out on a quarter, and then the following weekend, you know, they, they could have that semi-final. That could have easily been a, a final for a, for a gold medal that game. So, you know, I, I think that's just part of the you know, of where Sevens is at. Um, but I know that you know they'll definitely be disappointed. They'll be wanting, you know, they'll be wanting to get a gold medal before mm. before Christmas for sure. So I'm I'm hoping that the boys will get out for South Africa. Did the fun police kill Wellington? Did the fun police here kill sevens in this country when they suddenly said, look, forget the party, we'll cut down on the alcohol, this is not acceptable, where, I mean, that was the biggest, hottest ticket in town. I mean, that's what everybody looked forward to. Yeah, there's always one or two idiots that are going to ruin it for everyone else, but did we need to go to the extreme that we went to? Because the moment they did, sevens just seemed to disappear in this country. Yeah, well, I think that was probably it. It was, you know, probably um, a little bit too hard and fast for Wellington and um, yeah, it kind of turned the taps off really quick and, um, you know, fans sort of uh, decided that that was it for them. Uh, I think, you know, there's part and parcel of, you know, trying to get that balance right with, you know, having zones where the families can come out of the corporates and, and then obviously the, the party goes. But yeah, I think, you know, the, the fact that they sort of um, put a, a stamp in the ground um, was probably, I don't think, what it was really for that and it, it turned a lot of spectators off pretty quickly. What were the funniest costumes you saw over the years when you were sitting there playing? Did you ever sort of just have a little bit of a giggle at how ridiculous some of them were or just how original some of them were? Yeah, I mean, they got pretty outrageous. It was good, though, you know, when, when there were, I guess, new, new movies or new superheroes coming out, you know, it would always be the, the first costume, you know, whatever was hot, you know, that year was typically out. But I think uh, everyone loved the avocado man when he came out to play. Uh, Gingerbread Man was always a classic that got a bit of airtime and things like that, but pretty outrageous ones either. Um, probably probably not for everyone to look at, but uh, definitely made it a spectacle for the fans. Yeah. Yeah, just running through this lineup for next year. So, look, we've got Cape Town, we've got Hamilton, we've got Sydney, Los Angeles, Vancouver, Hong Kong, Singapore, Toulouse, London. Um, do you agree with all of those cities hosting? Do they all provide? Do they all provide um, a real sense of occasion? Is there one city that does it better than the rest? Oh no! I mean, I think over the years that's always been, you know, something that World Rugby's been working on, making sure that each, you know, host city could put it on um, for both the men and the women. So, you know, all of those stops are awesome venues, awesome, um, you know, cities to, to tour and see as well. So, you know, and I can only speak from the experience when I was playing. So they were they're all top notch. So I think it's going to be hard. I don't know how they're going to go about, you know, choosing their their final destinations for the you know the series going forward, mm. but um, I'm assuming based on that they're going to have to be pretty grand, mm. um, you know, to, to be the next thing in line. What's going on with Irish rugby at the moment, boy? They're they're an emerging and starting to do well in sevens as well as well as the fifteens. Suddenly Ireland, Ireland well, are everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> they've got a good core group of boys that have been playing for, and they're doing really well. Um, I think they're probably a nation that should have been involved in the series a long time ago. Mm. So I guess still kind of seeing. Some you know good reward for a team that's been together for a little while. What's happened to Kenya? I mean, Kenya. I remember them making the final here. Um, did they even win it in Wellington one year? It might have been even against New Zealand. Uh, yet they've sort of been in the wilderness in recent times. And just when you thought, hey, here we go, Kenya of all countries, just proving that this really should be the global point of view when it comes to rugby because you can get countries like Kenya who can get up to speed very quickly. Yeah, well, I think for them in particular, they you know had a a core group of um, guys that were together for a long time. And like you said, yeah, they did get some good tournament victories. I think they had the underdog, underdog tag for a while. They probably um, let them sneak up on a few countries. But I think, you know, after a few years, because of that tag, um, you know, teams 
stop taking them lightly or stop, you know, sort of second guessing. And obviously, mm. um, now you know they have to be on top of the game to, to you know, to compete. So mm. they're still, you know, a force to be reckoned with, but not, not <laughs> they weren't sneaking up on anyone um, like they used to. Tactically, has the ch- game evolved much over time? Is there still room for evolution in it in terms of the way the game's played tactically? I mean, from when you first started playing sevens to when your career ended, had there been much in, much of a shift in the way sides played sevens? Yeah, I think, you know, you could almost say it sort of goes in little cycles where, you know, teams that sort of, you know, play really direct and confrontational and then you've got teams that like to, you know, stay out of contact and it kind of goes around and then based on the efforts that come through, you know, mm. you can imagine guys are over 100 clicks now and everyone can, can fly. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty hard sport to, to compete with at, at the best of times. So um, I think it's just a, a nice fit. You've got a lot of coaches now that are past players, so they'll be bringing you know, old ideas and mixing it with, with the new generation. So it's a quite a quite a nice fit. Is there room in the modern game for guys like Carlin Isles, just pure speedsters, or do you need to be also a very good rugby player slash sevens player? I mean, can you just be a speedster and get away with that? As long as you've got, you know, let's be honest, you've still got to be able to catch and pass. But is that enough to allow you to be dynamic in sevens? I think you can, you know, you can still play a, play a role in sevens for sure. I, I guess it's, um, the ability to be able to, you know, sort of consistently perform when once teams start figuring out that you're, you're if you're just speed, um, if they find ways to shut you down, then you obviously have to, you know, bring a new aspect to your game. But mm. there's definitely for some countries, you know, who rely solely on, you know, speedsters within. Um, if that's what they need to work with, then you know, it has played its part. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, like I said, you know, when it comes to consistency and trying to figure out your opponents, you need to sort of add another bow to your game. I think now. DJ, I think you're working for the NZOC these days. Um, how did you find the transition from going from basically being a full-time sevens player to suddenly having to get into the real world and into the workforce? Was it an easy transition? Did you did you struggle with it? Um, I would have said it was an easy transition, but um, an enjoyable one. I think I was in a pretty good space where I knew that you know um, sport was going to finish eventually, and I was going to need to knuckle down and sort of grow my you know my capabilities. So now I'm enjoying enjoying where I'm at at the moment. I've been four years mm-hmm. now with. Uh, Mm. An Olympic committee, um, and like I said, yeah, I didn't want, and I don't want people to think that I'm just DJ as a footy player. I'm you know, obviously investing a lot of time mm. and uh, knowledge into you know mm. sports in general now, so enjoying yeah. that space. Yeah, look, I'm a man of a grammar old boy. I noticed you this year with a backs coach for Auckland Grammar. How are you enjoying that? <laughs> I want to say backs coach, I'll be, I'm, I'm helping out the Auckland Grammar boys. Um, I think that's just an opportunity for me to sort of get back and give back into that space. You know, like I said, I've been with the Olympic Committee and I think mm. the old heartstrings are pulled every now and then when I'm involved in rugby. So I've been enjoying, you know, being back down on the mm. ground with um, the next generation. Yeah, Carlton Nana got the measure of you this year in the centennial game, but I've got a sneaky <laughs> feeling you might be out back. But I'm sure he probably told you that, didn't he? Yeah, no, he gave me a little... A little rub on the back and things like that, but you know he's he's been in there for a little while, so that was only, only my first year. I like to think that I'm a I'm a rookie, so yeah, give me a year or two and I should be back. And how's Auckland Grammar going to look next year? Not a bad side, a young side this year. Yeah, well that's it. Hopefully, um, we've got that core group, you know, a bunch of six formers that'll be coming back and some new talent, and obviously us as a, a management team, you know, sort of mm-hmm. the second year round will hopefully be a little bit better. But um, no, exciting, mm-hmm. great great school and some great lads there. Yeah, what 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 do you think rugby can learn from sevens? Now that sevens, I mean, we we got to that point now, isn't it, where you sort of get to eighteen, you'll play fifteens, but then you've almost got to become, it's almost become its own sport. Sevens, it's become that specialised. So now that sevens is that specialised, what do you think that someone like you and and what can sevens offer the fifteen man game? Uh, I cut off a little bit, but I think yeah, the general just I think for me 
personally with that. Um, I've always said that you know sevens makes you an all-round like you know footy player. So I think when you're talking about if you're you know jumping between the codes, it gives you a great opportunity to learn all the skill sets. You know you can't just be a winger. You know you have to be you know good in the rucks. You have to you know um, be a bit of play, you know, playmaker. You have to be a, like a lock in the mm. air. But you have to be the full complement. So I think you know that really adds to the whole dynamic of you know footy players. So if you're playing sevens, it's gonna you know I guess grow your whole school set. Whereas in mm. you know, fifteens, you're gonna get given your role and you sort of play that role. Yeah, I, I sort of look at it too. I always look at sevens that defensively you've got to be maybe because it's a game that can be a little bit more ad hoc. You've just got to be so much more alert defensively. Yeah, and, and I think that comes with you know that whole game awareness. So. Yeah, um, and, and um, with the schoolboys, it's the same thing where you're sort of playing into certain maps, and people should be in certain areas and things like that. But in seven, now you're just you're just playing what you see, so it does give you a, a better sense of you know game awareness and, and reading the game as it as it unfolds. Oh, okay, okay, DJ. Look, just finally, do you, do you think we can see the, the round of the World Sevens back on New Zealand shores at some point in the future, or do you think maybe I'll Time is done, and as you said, you know, with being the Olympic Games and sevens, probably been a, a, a more simplistic form of rugby, if I can use that term, and um, taking it to the rest of the world is just going to be the way of the future. Oh, I'd love to think that it would be back. I think everyone knows, you know, New Zealand's a proud rugby nation, regardless of whether it's fifteens or sevens. Um, so I'd like to think that it would be back, and you know, I think New Zealand's usually got a lot to offer and, and been on the side of the world. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that we will see it in the near future. So, fingers mm. crossed. I'm just going to go and Google the avocado man. <laughs> it might be a flaw then, but yeah, it's like, <laughs> funny looking girl. Yeah, no, brilliant. Hey, DJ, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you for taking the time on uh, at, at eight o'clock at night on a Monday. Greatly appreciated. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thank Good you. Luck. One of the greats, former New Zealand Sevens captain, the great DJ Forbes, on the program, giving us his thoughts on. Sevens being taken away from New Zealand after the tournament in Hamilton in January. Doesn't really surprise me, to be honest. I think the rest of the world do it better. I think other countries don't take it for granted. We had a good thing going in Wellington and then the politically correct moral policed everybody else or the minority moral policed everybody else and dumb enough to buy into it. And then those same people who didn't like the behaviour, didn't bother turning up and supporting it. It's a bit like the feminists out there that continue to advocate for equal prize money for cricketers and rugby, but don't actually turn up to any of the games themselves. Just jump on some political high horse. Don't think about the long-term consequences of some of their... preaching and here we go we end up with nothing it's what annoys me in this country you know the minority these days is the silent majority it's a country that's just been inundated by identity politics and it's got to stop if you don't like the sevens don't turn up don't watch it okay that simple if you don't like a comedian because you think a comedian's offensive, don't watch it. But don't tell other people what they can watch and what they can't watch. You might want to have your say. 0800 150811. Love to get your thoughts on this. Are you going to miss it?
You agree with me? The fun police ruined it. Bring back Wellington, bring back the costumes, bring back the alcohol, bring back the rugby. Let's just have some fun. Are we allowed to have fun anymore in this country? Are we allowed to have fun anymore? Or are you one of these people that wants religion back in schools, but when you ask them which religion, they say, well, what do you mean? My religion, of course. 20 minutes after 8, 0800 150 25 minutes after 8, telephone number's 0800 150 So the fun police, well, they've eventually killed Sevens, haven't they? I'm down in Wellington on Thursday night to watch Guns N' Roses. All you people that shut the Wellington Sevens down, bring out your placards. Stand out the front of the Caketon. Give me a reason why Guns N' Roses shouldn't be there. Take photos of people drinking and the odd person who might, who might. The one in a thousand that might urinate somewhere on the corner of a street. Send it to the council, send it to the police and we'll shut concerts down in Wellington. And then when you've done that, you can move on to the next thing. And you can just continue to moral police everybody. As you sit there in your glass house, living life perfectly by your own set of rules and by your own standards that you believe everybody else should follow. You're a bunch of morons. What's wrong with this country? Really, really disappointed the Sevens is leaving. It was never the same going to Hamilton. No disrespect to Hamilton, but Wellington was Wellington. It almost became the blue ribbon event on the Seven circuits behind Hamilton. Okay, so you dress up in costume. That's part of it. That's part of the brand. Well, people are not going to anything anymore. Look at the crowds for the cricket. Look at the crowds for the rugby. People have just had a guts full of being told what they can't do. Oh, oh, what we've got to do is we've got to try and appease families. We, we want to make this a family sport. Well, the families aren't turning up anyway. Parents are responsible for the messages their kids get. Okay? The Wellington Sevens is probably not a place to be taking your kids to, or certain parts of the stadium maybe not the best place to be taking your kids to. So don't go and do it. You know? It's like, oh, let's get rid of the Biffin State of Origin. One of peace to the families. Oh, that's right. I don't know how many six- and seven-year-olds are allowed to be up at 10 o'clock watching the damn thing at night. Let's take out the biff, but hey, a player will get concussed. We'll still put him out on the park the following week. We'll have every other sex scandal off the field, but hey, it's a family game. There's a reason why man's defeats are on the front pages of the newspapers and man's victories are on the back. Because we're flawed as people. We like the chaos. We like carnage. We like reckless. We like to watch the biff. We're cavemen at heart. You know, trying to make out that somehow we're perfect. We're not. Look at the history of mankind. We do two things well. Keep the species going and kill each other. Study psychology. So rather than trying to manipulate us, social engineer us, why don't you actually just look at our flaws and play to those? It's the reason why mixed martial arts boxing are the biggest viewed sports in history. Oh, we can't have that, though. Why not? Oh, the sponsors don't like it. No, that's just box ticking. They don't believe a damn word of it. Disingenuous. Every single customer out there is flawed some way. 
Anyway, that's my little sermon. Uh, Niv, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Enjoying, enjoying just letting you do your thing. Just letting me do my thing, having my little preach. Yes. Um, what was I going to say that was highly intelligent? Can't have been much, Niv. Can't have been much. Um, do you ever remember the avocado man at the Wellington Sevens? I don't. I had no the clue. The DJ Falls talking about the avocado man. And the ginger, I think I remember the gingerbread man. Do you? Describe him to me. He's dressed up as a gingerbread oh, man. There you have it. There you go. So I don't know what sort of description you want. <laughs> uh, I mean, how does a gingerbread supposed to look? I don't know what sort of sprinkles did he have, what sort of icing. No, okay, fair did enough. He come with the house. You're going deep there, true. But you've got to commit to these outfits. A lot of people did for Wellington, and that's what made it mm. great. No, it did. Yeah, boy, there were some beauties. I remember the ones that turned up as highlight markers. I thought they were brilliant. Highlight, oh, highlighters. Like the little Faber Castells, your pinks, your greens. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, then someone said, we can't have that. It's such a shame. It is, isn't it? I moved to Wellington, and uh, that was after they got rid of it, and I was pretty sad about it. I can't lie. Yeah. But I think if all if all crowds are being told to behave in a certain way or act in a certain way, um, what does this mean for us hosting yeah, yeah, the but, Women's World Cup? Yeah, but you look at it. So we tell our players how they need to act. So when they go and do an interview, there's nothing about it. It's so boring. it's boring and dull. The crowd behaviour is boring and dull. You go to a rugby or ground and you basically strip search because you're trying to take a salad roll or a or, or a bottle of water in and out of the side of your eye you can sort of see them building the gallows and you feel like you've just been caught smuggling heroin into Singapore and you're going to be hanged. And you go and they wonder why people don't turn up and then they price gouge you when you do get in. They don't offer a healthy alternative. Um, the, the security are officious, not official. And this is yet an industry. It's like, treat, just continue to treat me like a child. Continue to do it, please. Treat me like a child. I won't go. Should I treat you like a child and well, just go to this but break? Why not just go to the Wellington Sevens and go, hey, this is R18, guys. Full stop. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get on with it. Or you do have one section aside and you go, this is for family, guys. But most parents sit there and go, if you want to act like that, well, you can do that when you're 22, 23. And then most people, when they get to 22, 23, well... They might do it once and then yeah. they grow out of it and they move on. They're past it. Yeah. It's an 18, 19 year old thing. Yeah. Oh, I miss it so much. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, 29 and a half minutes away from now. We'll take a break. We're talking motorsport. David Turner up next on the program. Thursday night, yeah, baby, in Wellington. Looking forward to seeing the Gunners. Looking forward to see Guns N' Roses. My Life Band. Scrapbook photo album of the last 30 odd years. Hot Water Beach, 1988. Saw them under the big top. The original lineup is he Stradlin. Duff McKagan. Stephen Adler on drums. None of the circus that goes with it these days. Just hard and raw. Right, we're going to talk some motorsport. Mr. Motorsport himself, David Turner, joins us on the program. David, good evening. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'm a little bit concerned. So you're really a diehard Mettler, are you? No, I'm not a Mettler at all. I just love Guns N' Roses. It's just, I wouldn't just... <laughs> oh, yeah, see, see, yeah, uh, yeah. Now, um, you would have... I know you heard my little rant on the Wellington Sevens, and I understand you'd wanted to comment. Uh, no, look, I, I think I'll stay out of that because it could be political hot fire. So, um, but no, I agree, actually. It's, you know, like, 
it's the it's the line between entertainment and everything else, isn't it? So I, I don't I don't know, Mark. It's it's a well well sport it, interesting it, it, scenario. Yeah, look, it's got a bit sport these days, and you'll see it in motorsport, and I think motorsport do it really well. It's got to be entertainment. It can't just be a sporting contest anymore. I mean, there's so much right. out there for people to spend their disposable income on. So many more sports now than there were 20 odd years ago. So many more opportunities. Things are a lot more accessible. You've got to be smart. You can't continue to put up barriers. No, you know, like we'll use motorsport as the example. It's it's not necessarily about the cars going round and round and round. It's about all the other stuff that goes around it. And you know, obviously, we talk a lot about you know the five hundred and stuff. But the same rules apply here and at home in New Zealand. You know, and two day events that you know get hosted here over particularly our summer season or speedway. You know, as I'm involved with Western Springs, it, it it's about that entertainment factor. Mm. You have to have entertainment plus the sporting code. Mm. Yeah, yeah, now t- yeah, tell us it, because, I mean, you go up every year to the Indy 500, so tell us how that plays out. Or what, You know, if you're going there as a spectator, as a fan, what time do people arrive? Um, what's going on in and around the actual track itself? I mean, the Americans know how to do the periphery. They know how to do it well. Well, I think what you've got to remember with the Indy 500 is it's a little bit of an extreme because of the, the number of people. You know, when you're talking... You know, half a million people at a sporting event on a single day. It, it's it's mind numbing. But there's plenty going on. There's there's the snake pit area where there's concerts literally all day inside the race. And I'm sure there are some people that go to the Indy 500 and don't see a single lap of the race because they're at the concerts all day. So you know, there's a, there's a pretty good range of entertainment. Certainly from about two and a half hours out from the race, there's stuff that goes right around the track. So no matter where you're sitting, you're going to see something. Um, yeah, it's part of the show, you know, it is actually part of the show. And that really builds itself up from, you know, middle of the week before, like Carb Day Friday is very much a, a party day. And and you go there, you know, IndyCar are actually only on the circuit for an hour and a half, you know, and yet it's a whole day event. So there's all this other stuff going on, if you like. Uh, and then Saturday, there's the parade downtown. Um, you know, it's the second largest parade in the US outside of Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. Um, yeah, it, but it's entertainment dollar. That's what it's all about. But, but, I'd ima- but I'd imagine with inside the um, with with inside the actual uh, arena, speedway. Yeah, with inside yeah. the speedway, that there are concession stands. There's alcohol being served. That um, yep. And I'd imagine there's probably always the odd person that's going to go and maybe get a little bit obliterated. And I imagine they take pretty tough, you know, take a pretty tough stance on that. But it goes on year in year out. Yeah, well, Indianapolis is a fairly, um, we'll call it fairly straight state, uh, the state of Indiana. Um, but yeah, Friday on, on Carb Day, you get quite a few intoxicated people. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, it is very much a party day. And, you know, don't forget it's early spring there, so the temperatures are getting up. So the alcohol hits the spot pretty quickly. Um, but people, people are pretty respectful of it as well. But this really strange thing, and I've commented on it lots and lots of times, and it's strange that we're even having this conversation tonight, but, you know, Friday you go to carb day and you kind of, to put it really crudely, you get hammered that day if you like. Yep. But then on Sunday you come back for the race and you don't get hammered because you're busy watching the race. Mm-hmm. So there's this weird logic that takes place there that, again, is kind of unique to that mm-hmm. event, but... You know, the, the, there's a, a good police presence, but everyone is still mm. very ex- 
very respectful, I think you'd say. Mm. And in the days leading up, how accessible are the drivers or how much coverage do the individual drivers get? Do they have their own little sort of setups and do their own sort of, if I can use the word, trade teams? Um, I mean, you know, one thing... Well, there's, there's, what, merchant, there's, merchandise, there's merchandise for some of the bigger teams. They've certainly got that. IndyCar have a range of merchandise. The series has merchandise, so there's all of that sort of stuff. On race day, again, because of the volume of people... Um, the drivers are not necessarily accessible to the public that easy. There's a driver's parade and everything. Um, but, you know, they, they've all participated in the parade the day before downtown. Every driver yep. is in that. It's, it's mandatory. So they've done a lot of public yeah. appearances prior to that day. Um, and, you know, there's, there's something like 30-odd giant video screens around the whole speedway. So you, no matter where you are, you're going to see stuff. And there's a, there's a driver introductions period and stuff like that. So... Yeah, you know, you, there's plenty to do, and there's you know there's a vast variety, if you like, of different foods that you can get, and all of that sort of stuff. So you, you know, and, and most of it is, I think, for a sports thing, and you know, I've heard stories about recent events that have happened here in New Zealand, but everything there is very moderately priced. It's not overpriced, and it's not underpriced either. But it's it's mm. fair and reasonable. So I think that encourages you to uh, purchase on site, shall we say. Mm. Uh, look, I have very vivid and very fine memories of going to Speedway in the 1970s, growing up in Mount Albert and watching um, the likes of the Barry Butterworths and the Ted Tracys. And I remember watching Ivan Major. Uh, always remember it as being a really, really good night out. How does Speedway do it? Is, is it is it greater than the sum of its parts? Yeah. Well, that's you know that's what we're kind of working on. Part of what I'm doing with Western Springs, apart from doing the television coverage, you know, for the sky and then the, a, a live stream we're, we're trying to create and, it, and it's the wish of the promoter it's, it's exactly what we're talking about now it's about entertainment dollar and one of the phrases that we've used there uh, which we're calling it the Disneyland experience whereby if you come once and you get hooked you'll come back again Absolutely. and it's always been a, a, a Disney thing so you know um, due to the weather and stuff that we've had in Auckland we've only had two of the scheduled four meetings so far but you know, um, the Boxing Day New Year period. There's a there's a whole host of meetings on. Uh, we ran last Saturday night, so they've they've gone that much further. It's a very family safe venue. There's a lot of you know we had kids bouncy castles and a little tiny Ferris wheel and stuff like that for the kids a few weeks ago. Driver accessibility at Western Springs is very good. It's got the largest monster uh, vision screen in the country currently for streaming our our live stream, so no matter where you're sitting in the crowd, you're going to get that. And we've turned that, part of what I've done for them is I've turned that into a true show. So if you're watching it online, from 5.30 to 10.30, you're getting a show. But equally, if you're at Western Springs, you're getting that same show, plus you can witness and smell it and all the other carry-on that goes with it. So, again, it's just about raising the bar for the fact that someone's paid some money to come through the turnstiles and you have to give them satisfaction. They're going to come and cheer whoever their driver is that they support or whoever the rugby team is they support, but they need the take-home factor, and that's what we're, we're trying to do this summer at Western Springs. It's funny how smells can take you back in time. Any time I smell sort of a high-octane sort of souped-up car, it always just takes me back to my childhood, it always just takes me straight back to Western <laughs> Springs. Hey, look, just changing it up because um, I do yep. have limited time, but I just really want to touch on Shane Van Gisbergen. So it is official. He wins his third supercar championship. 21 races this year. Uh, put that in context for people. Uh, I think top uh, a driver on the, the top of his game 
and a team that's on the top of their game as well. And, you know, the Triple Eight team have been that way for quite some time. You put some of those two parts together and uh, and it works. Not just to McLaughlin, not taking anything away from SVG. Uh, you know, both those guys have performed extremely well in different teams uh, in supercar in recent years. And, um, yeah, I think when it all clicks together, it just clicks and you have a magic year. And, and that's what Shane's done. He's very talented behind the wheel. You know, we saw him here in New Zealand and in Rally New Zealand and, uh, you know, competing in that. Um, he's probably going to be seen in a sprint car at Western Springs this summer as well. Um, you know, so he, he he's one of those drivers that has the ability to drive mm. just about anything that he hops in and drive it really well. He's tried drifting, mm. you know, sports car racing, Daytona. Um, the guy's good, you know, and he, he just it came together this season and those are those types mm. of season. You know, if we go back to 2008 when Dixon won the Indy 500 and won the championship, that was a dream season. It was an absolute dream season. And I think Van Gisbergen's just had one of those this year as well. Mm. Now, he's in discussions with Triple Eight boss Jamie Winkup about extending his contract. Um, I understood that he's not in any rush to extend or commit beyond next year. He wants to have a look at the Gen 3 car. Can you just explain what the Gen 3 car is and what the concern is? Well, basically, supercar are, are doing an evolution, a bit like what we've seen in Formula 1 this year with new rules and whatnot. So the Gen 3 is their next version of cars. So it's essentially, whether it be, as it will be from next year, a Chevy or a, a Mustang, um, in, in many ways, it's the same car underneath the shell. Uh, and, the, and then the silhouette on top is what gives it the brand difference. Uh, and there's some structural changes within the car, and there's been talks of various performance and whether one brand's going to have parity over the other and, you know, all the normal things that effectively Supercar have had the recipe right with the current spec car, but you've got to change it up because the racing's become a little bit dull, uh, I will say. Uh, so by introducing a new car, you introduce, introduce a whole mm. bunch of new engineering that currently isn't taking place that can take place within the rules. And uh, I think that's good because suddenly then you could find someone who's maybe in a midfield runner been a, a true contender and you can say that with Formula 1 this year you know we've, we saw Haas score points and yet if we'd had that conversation a year ago I would have said absolutely no way in heck Mark will they score points you know so it's good and I think he, I think Van Gisbergen's just playing his cards to see how on top of the game you know Triple Eight are but then you've also got to think okay well where would his other options be and I really don't know where there would be any so it's, it's that time of the year where drivers sign contracts and talk about what the team can do for them. The team talk about what they can do for the driver, and then ultimately they they agree, but they just take a while to do it, and it's just part of the game. And obviously the value of the contract gets played out in that process as well. So the Generation 3 cars, the, the innovations, the evolutions, is that about aligning, though, with what they do in the consumer market in terms of the uh, innovations they bring? Like like we see with a lot of Porsche and Ferrari, it's like a lot of it's, you know, yes, it's Formula One, but a lot of that technology then sort of moves into the commercial side of their business. Yeah, a little bit. It's, they're wanting the cars to look a little bit more like what you and me could go and buy on a, on a Monday in the sure. showroom. You know, it's that it's that same thing of the old adage that was around. You know, win on Sunday, buy on Monday, mm. and. Um, they're trying to bring back a, a little bit of that. I don't think that the current spec car was that far off what a, a showroom vehicle looked like, but they want to retain 
some of that. So naturally, that's going to play with the aerodynamics and handling mm-hmm. and everything else. But you know, it's good. You've got to you've got to mix the rules up every now and then, and uh, and it keeps the teams that are doing really well keeps them honest, and the teams that are maybe midfield runners, it gives them a decent chance. And I think that that's that's the way it should be. Okay, uh, David. Just before I do let you go, so what's happening at Western Springs? When's the next major speedway event that people can go along to? Uh, Boxing Day is the first of the Midget Internationals. Three Americans coming down here at this stage, maybe a fourth. And if the fourth one does get here, he is real hot property. But the three that are coming are great. Uh, There's a female driver, Taylor Rumor, who I actually interviewed a few weeks ago. And she is, she's the real deal. Uh, Justin Grant, uh, very highly rated midget driver, and Ethan Mitchell. Um, These three that are coming, they're all going to be in very well-equipped cars. If we get the fourth one, uh, which hasn't been announced, but the rumour mill is very, very strong. Um, Western Springs is going to have the best lineup of American drivers it's probably had in quite a few years. Forgetting the COVID issues, I'm saying in quite a few years. You know, these these are really good drivers. So Boxing Day, uh, the first of January. There's there's some great meetings on. You know, just check the Western Springs website out. You find all that information. Mm-hmm. But they are going to be um, rocket ship nights and a great way to spend. A, certainly Boxing Day. You know, eat on Saturday, eat on Christmas Day and rest it off on the Ooh, next day. Well, I think I'm doing a show on Boxing Day, so we'll have to uh, line up uh, uh, perhaps a couple of guests for that day then, um, David. Hey, look, lovely to have you on the program as always, mate. Do appreciate you taking the time and joining us and bringing your expertise. No sweat, and I know that you're tight for time, but I'd just like to say, you know, absolutely well done for Marcus Armstrong joining the Ganassi team. We'll talk more about it in the future. Uh, I've got all sorts of info coming to me on that. So oh, well, look, we'll, we'll, look, we'll do something next week on it, David. Yep, no problem at all, Mark. Excellent. Thank you. 11 minutes away from nine, you're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150 is the text. Oh, 0800 150 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. Right, that must be my cue, is it? Yeah, it is. It's six minutes away from nine o'clock. After nine o'clock, we'll bring you some highlights of the FIFA Football World Cup over the last couple of days. Argentina have gone through. The Netherlands have gone through. England have gone through. France have gone through. And some very intriguing games to look forward to. I'm just waiting for the upset. There has to be an upset in this fourth round. Who will it be? Will it be Japan beating Croatia? Was that an upset? Croatia did make the final of the last World Cup. Brazil, South Korea. Can South Korea do the unthinkable? Would a World Cup be the same if Brazil were to go out in the round of 16? Can Morocco upset Spain? Now, I think Morocco still play in the African... Do they play in the African region or do they play Asia? Correct, play in Africa. They do play in Africa. Okay, I get a little... I know that some of the Kuwait and some of those North African nations... Are based out of Asia as well, but it would be great, wouldn't it, if an African nation? I mean, the world's been waiting for the African nations to win a World Cup, and it just quite hasn't happened. Portugal, Switzerland, Switzerland, man, dark, dark horse team, hard to beat. Shakiri from Liverpool, we all we all remember Shakiri with that big Shaq. Yeah, we love that little cross that led to Jenny Wijnaldum against oh, Barcelona, seventh of May, two thousand and nineteen, four nil to beat Barcelona, go through the Champions League final, watch it, look at Shakiri, look at the cross. History maker for Liverpool. Uh, Portugal, Ronaldo, yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Is that where the upset's going to come? I mean, on paper, Portugal, I could see Switzerland winning that one. I think Spain will be too good for Morocco. I could see Japan beating Croatia. I could see Brazil, South Korea going to penalties. We haven't had them yet, have we? We haven't. I thought England would have gone to penalties today. if They would have lost. (laughs) Anyway, Niv with me. 
And after nine o'clock, we're going to talk a little bit of football between the two of us, and we'll bring you those highlights of those four games. 9.30, we'll talk some baseball. Dale Budge talking the Tuatara at 9.30. It is one minute after nine. You're listening to SENZ uh, Test Cricket on underway at the moment. Fascinating game. Brendan McCullum's England taking on Pakistan. The first time they played a test in Pakistan for, well, I think going right back to about 2004 is my understanding. Um, England deciding that, hey, they want to make test cricket exciting. They've set Pakistan a target of 343 on the last day to win this test. Well, in fact, on the fourth day. Travelling along nicely at 176 for three. However, Jimmy Anderson's just got the breakthrough. So now Pakistan, 176 for four. They're into the second session. So into the second session. This could be a nail-biter. Did Pakistan decide to shut up shop and bat for the draw? Or did Pakistan accept the invitation and go after it? This is an absolute desert road. There's nothing in this wicket. Highlighted by the fact that in the first innings, England scored 657. Pakistan, in reply, scored 579. England declared in their second innings at 264 for seven, a little bit reckless perhaps, but they knew that all they really had to do was set a target. And then Pakistan in their second innings, as I mentioned, 176 for four. Just having a look at the bowling statistics here. Ollie Robertson, 12 overs, 3 maidens, 1 for 29. Ben Stokes, 6 overs, 1 maiden, 1 for 23. James Anderson, 12.1 overs, 2 for 15. Jack Leach, their spinner, 13 overs, 4 maidens, none for 52. Wills Jacks, another one of their spinners, 6 overs, no maidens, none for 38. And Joe Root, 6 overs, no maidens, none for 16. We will keep you updated through to 11 o'clock here tonight. Right, we're going to talk some baseball 9.30 tonight, Dale Budge on the programme, the Auckland Tuatara, they're back at home at North Harbour, Friday night, two games on Saturday, 11 o'clock and, uh, sorry, 3 o'clock and 7 o'clock, and then Sunday, 11 o'clock, they're taking on the Melbourne Aces, but they've just come back from Perth, where they ended up beating Perth by three games to one, not an easy place to travel, really, really good performance from the baseball franchise, the Auckland Tuatara, so we'll do that at 9.30. Niv is producing tonight. No Ben Francis. Niv's wearing his Liverpool shirt. Liv's, Niv's a very, very intelligent man. He's an attractive man in a very platonic way. Um, clearly highly intelligent, the fact that he's wearing a Liverpool shirt. You enjoying the World Cup, Niv? <laughs> I, I am enjoying the World Cup. I didn't think Have I Have you ever been called an attractive man by another man? Oh, all the time. Yeah, I, I, I would have thought so, mate. I struggle with it. Hey, oh, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Uh, mainly from Ben Francis. 
Well, yeah, but no, no, I think, I think you know, these days, you know, yeah. I think we're a lot more open in society, aren't we? Absolutely. We should tell the boys that, you know, yeah, when you're they're an looking attractive good. man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. Actually, Sam, that, that, there's no connotations whether they might be, but for others, it's just, hey, you're an attractive man. Your wife looks nice tonight. You're an attractive man, you know. Your kids are nicely dressed. They're well behaved. Why not? Yeah, just compliment people, you know. Yeah. I tell you the good. scariest thing. Walk down Queen Street. Not that Queen Street ever has a busy period now, but there used to be a time where you'd walk down Queen Street and you'd say to someone, hello, and they get a fright, like, like, what do you mean you're saying hello to me? What do you want? Well, I'm not. I'm just trying to be nice. You go to America and everyone's like, hey, how are you? Have a great day. You know, everyone's so super friendly over there. Yeah, Here we're like, just get out of my way. I'm in a hurry, man. That's what it's like in South Africa. You just say hi to anyone on the street. Mm. Um, and, you know, being from Kitty Kitty up north, we say hi to everyone knows everyone. Yeah. So when I moved to Auckland, this was about 2014. It's not like Canterbury, though, Kerry Kerry, like we are – where the family tree's like a straight line. It's not like that, is it, up in Kerry? No, no, no. Not it's not like that. Yeah, we're not that. Are we allowed uh, to have a bit of fun at the, the Cantabrians? We are, aren't we? Yeah, we absolutely That are. tribalism's gone now, and that angst between Auckland and Canterbury's gone, and I'm just trying to bring it back. I'm just trying to poke the bear a little bit. Well, we need something to look forward to yeah. with these fixtures. Would you have any problem with the new rugby stadium down there being Carlos Spencer Field? It's got a ring to it, hasn't it? I think it sounds beautiful. We're I think Carlos Spencer Field in Christchurch. Christchurch Carl, I mean, let's be honest, mate. They're all closet lovers of Carlos Spencer, aren't they? Yes. Uh, in a rugby sense, I mean. Yeah. Purely in a rugby yeah, sense. Yeah, you'd have to be. You'd have to be. Do you think he's... Um, I think they're both statues of him. Do you think he's the best first five to play in Christchurch? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah no doubt I mean, Carter was good, but he wasn't Carlos Spencer good. Nah. Not even, not even close. Not even close, mate. Yeah. Anyway, we shall move on. Uh, we've got some football highlights for you. We're going to talk to Andy Buckley after 10, get his, his thoughts on that England performance, what chance he gives England against France. And if he does give England a chance, what weakness does he see in this French team? Because I'm not sure I see a lot. So we thought we'd bring you highlights, courtesy of the commentators here at SEN, SENZ and SEN in Australia. Um, so yesterday it was the Netherlands taking on the United States. By and the shot taken and it's saved by Andres Noppertz. Well, that just that was inexplicable, really, from the Netherlands. And every touch from the Dutch is under pressure, oh, but they've worked it out nicely. Good passing. Klaassen finds the pie, and now Gakpo turns forward and runs. He feeds in Dumfries on the right wing. First time this cross cut back. Pie. Pie. What a oh, goal! Memphis the pie. Excellent finish. Excellent build up. The Netherlands with the opening goal, and it's Memphis who has put the Netherlands up one nil. Back to Depay. On the left wing now, they're advancing. There's a couple of on runners fire. in the middle. Here's the pie. Shifts onto his right foot. Wants to strike. Fire. Back to the left. Back onto his right. Tackling running out of someone. room. Running out of room. And Zimmerman gets a foot in. And it's a corner here for the Netherlands. Dest crosses in. Hooked away. Comes forward Whoa. to Weyer, who unleashes a shot. Is power. Dumfries crosses in. Another shot comes in from the Dutch. And it's Daly Blinds who scores. And yet again, it's another low cross from Dumfries on the right flank. And Daly Blind, the left back, has buried the second for the Netherlands right before halftime. Third, where McKenney takes off. Bursting over the halfway line. He's got Dumfries to his inside. Good pass from McKenney. Now to Weyer on the right wing. RK, okay, great, great recovery. Great recovery. Got all the way to the byline. Shoulder for shoulder. Nathan RK in the defence of the Dutch. Will be sent in by Pulisic towards the back post. There headed away. Poked to the goal line and cleared away by the Dutch. There was a couple of scrambled touches in there from the USA. Secondary cross comes in from Pulisic. Uh, no power from Weston McKenney's header. 
They have it on the right flank with Dumfries, who gets around. Plays a lovely cross. He's fumbled by Turner, cleared off the line at the other end this time by Serginho Des. Out to the left here for Pulisic, who's running infield into the box. Back to McKinney, took a touch, left-footed shot over the crossbar. So they go again here now, the Netherlands. Now Gakpo has it, looks up, left-footed shot, hits the wall. Gakpo tries to spin his way out of traffic. Depay! Depay! Oh, it's a good save from Turner. Just got his hand on it, parries it over the crossbar. Throws it in towards Miners to unleashes. Turner, first save. And the second one as well from Matt Turner. Oh, oh back it away. And now Hadji Wright. Oh, it's a heavy touch. Hadji Wright has to squeeze it in. And it's been cleared off the line by Julian Timber. Back into midfield. Yedlin, who's just come on the field as a sub, plays it through towards Pulisic on the right side. Chance here. Flicked on. Flicked on. And it's in. Oh. The United States have scored. Is that me? Right again. It's Hadji Wright, the sub. To De Jong. And now Blint sizes up across. Back post Five all by post. himself. Oh. It's a goal for Denzel Dumfries. And that might have sealed the game. There's your man of the match. Two assists and a goal. Netherlands three, USA one. Denzel Dumfries all by himself. Amazing how they use the word assists now. Very much an American um, terminology. And they're taking a lot more statistics. Americans always been big on the statistics in sport. I certainly remember football in the 80s. There was no such thing as assists. Ice hockey, probably the real first team goal scoring game where they also used it a lot. But I guess there's some merit in it. You reward those players that, set up that final pass or that provide that moment of inspiration. Going to be tough, though, for Argentina um, or for the Netherlands because they... Sorry, tough for Argentina. What did we just play then, the Netherlands-USA or the Argent... We played the Netherlands-USA. Sorry, my half asleep. So we just played the Netherlands-USA. The winner, the Netherlands, then had to wait and see who would win the Argentina-Australia game to find out who they would then meet in the quarterfinals. To the top of the centre circle, Fernandez gives it over to Messi, who's dropped in deep and now threads it down the left sideline to Alejandro Gomez. Skips in right foot, takes a shot. It's the first shot of the game and it's ballooned over the crossbar. Corner for the Aussies. McGree gets it in. Back post. Suta rises up, knocked it down and it's hit the legs of an Argentinian defender and bounces out and back into midfield. Second phase now in play for Argentina. Messi squares it up. Back towards the feet of Messi. Lionel Messi with the shots, And it's Lionel Messi. The magic of Messi cannot be stopped. The green and gold wall of Australia has been breached. Lionel Messi, after 35 minutes, slips it between the defence and beyond Matt Ryan into the bottom left corner. And it's Argentina 1, Australia 0. Bayich into rolls. He goes back to Matt Ryan. He has to take a touch. He's been dispossessed and it's gone past him. And it's a second goal for Argentina. Julian Alvarez makes it 2-0. And it is a debacle at the back for Australia. Matt Ryan overwhelmed by the two-man press of Argentina. He was dispossessed, the Australian goalkeeper, inside his own box. And all Julian Alvarez had to do was take possession, swivel, and stroke it into the open net. And Messi has it again. Backs out of traffic, turns to face forward, gets through the centre circle, and passed a few more. Lionel Messi continues to go. Ball spills out to the left, comes back to Messi, tries to skip past Suta, puts the brakes on, and the late tackle came in eventually, and it's out over the byline. Lionel Messi is toying with Australia. Scooped up the left sideline, clipped away by Molina, back into midfield for Moy. Bayic burst past Molina, good turn of foot there from Aziz Bayic, looks up, gets a cross in, clearance not, uh, oh, a slight deflection, oh, and it's a goal for yes. Australia! Craig Goodwin has scored from a long way out, heavy deflection, completely wrong-footed, Emiliano Martinez, Enzo Fernandez, the midfielder, is the culprit, and Australia have a goal in this round of 16 clash. 
good interplay from Australia on the left. A little one-two, and now Bates is getting inside the area. Bates keeps on going, cuts back, takes the shots, oh. and it's just deflected wide. As is Bayic had beaten the whole team. He had gotten goal side, he'd skipped past three of them, four of them, and then his shot was deflected by the slide tackle of Lissandro Martinez. All given away by Australia. Argentina counter-attacking now. Get to the edge of the box. Here's Messi, puts the brakes on, passes to an open player, and he's missed. He's completely blown at Lataro Martinez. Argentina exposing some gaps at the back now for Australia. Here's Lionel Messi, feeds in Martinez again. Lataro Martinez stopped by Matt Ryan. Australia's goalkeeper came out and smothered the shot. His pass turnover. Here go the Aussies again. On the left, clipped in towards Sutar, rises. Garan Kroll can score, and it's oh. been saved by Emiliano Martinez. Australia's teenage sensation almost had his moment against the world's best. It was there for him at the back post. He twisted away from Tagliafico, who was left floored. And it is a brilliant save from Argentina's goalkeeper, who threw himself in the way of the shot. And it was his left forearm which has saved Argentina. Yeah, really gutsy performance from Australia. But I don't know. I don't. You can say if they had a, mis- a goal or the goalkeeper hadn't made the mistake. Well, yeah, play then starts from a goal kick. Um, and the whole context and the nature of the game can change. I think when it was all said and done, Argentina, I think we're always going to win this game. But really gutsy performance from Australia as well. Boy, what a mouth-watering encounter that is. The Netherlands-Argentina, hard to believe that one of those countries is going home after this weekend. Tough, tough competition. Brutal. Speaking of which... The games played this morning featured France and Poland and also England and Senegal. We'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll bring you the highlights of both of those games. You're listening to SENZ. If you do want to phone the program, telephone number is 0800 150 811. You can also text us here on 8833. Must be my cue. 18 minutes after nine, updating the cricket. Pakistan 186 of four. Target is 343. Shaquille Lear on 72. Azir is the new wicket. Uh, new batsman at the crease on three. Day five, session two. Fascinating contest. We were just having the discussion, never myself, whether Pakistan should go for it. We both agree they should go for it. Absolutely go for it. We know what McCullum would do. We know what Ben Stokes would do. They would play baseball. As much as McCullum hates it, they would go after it. And I think that England have enticed them enough, given them a decent carrot. It is absolutely plain on a desert road here. There is nothing in it for the bowlers However, we're not the ones out in the middle, are we, Niv? No, we're not. But I tell you, if it was, I'd be on the front foot slog sweeping it because it is hot, it is flat. Yeah, I've got a feeling if you were out there in the middle, you'd probably be back in the pavilion by now, as I would be. Yeah, you've just you've summarised my cricketing career well, quite we, well there, I, I call actually. it confusing ability with ambition. Yeah, yeah, look, um, maybe I've just but overstepped It's not the about whether we do it or not, it's the intent. If it's we were the, the captain, intent. it's the intent. We would go after it, wouldn't we? Yeah, we'd commit. I mean, you don't really achieve anything, as you said, by... Well, not these days, with points up for grabs to make finals and you've got the home series. Good crowd in two. Great crowd. Very good crowd for a test match in Pakistan. Really good crowd. Oh, they'll be stoked to have it back. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, we've been bringing you some footballing highlights. So we've already determined that the Netherlands are through to the quarterfinals, as are Argentina. The Netherlands getting up over the United States, three goals to one. Argentina beating Australia, two goals to one. This morning, it was France, the defending champions, taking on Lewandowski's Poland. 
Rabio comes in to Chuamini again, who sizes up the shot and forces a save from Wojciech Szczesny. Well, a pathway had opened up for Chuamini to put his foot through it. The Real Madrid midfielder, there was a gap that opened up. It was on target, and Szczesny had to get down low to his right to parry it well away. Lewandowski central, Frankowski coming in from the left. Falls to Lewandowski, sees off the Pimecano. Lewandowski strikes, and it's beyond the posts. Lewandowski from range. Dembele down the right sideline, Usman Dembele cross field, and somehow it hasn't been buried at the back post by Olivier Giroud. Dembele on the right side of the box did the right thing to set up Giroud at the back post. He went across the face of goal, and Giroud somehow it's I think it's skimmed over his shin and out of play, and he was all of about a metre and a half away facing an open net. Yeah, and now a good move from Poland. Benajinski cuts the cross in, shot comes up, Poland saved by Larice, second shot blocked, third shot clear off the line. France keep Poland out somehow. My oh my Piotr Zielinski, he doesn't know how he didn't score. And into the feet of Giroud. Left footed shot across the face of goal. Past Szczesny and into the nets. France 1-0 up. They take the lead right before half time. And for Olivier Giroud, it is a record breaking goal. He is now the all time top goal scorer for Le Bleu. And he's put the French up one goal to nil right before half time in the round of 16 clash. And Mbappe gets onto his right, and Mbappe looking dangerous, takes a shot, the deflection, oh, almost went into the open nets. Chesney was diving to his right as the shot was initially intended for that near post, but the heavy deflection, and it almost wriggled in to an open net at the back stick, but it just moves wide and out for a corner. And France have turned it over. Here goes Dembélé. Out towards Mbappe in some space. 18 yards out. Mbappe! Kylian Mbappe at this World Cup just cannot stop scoring goals. He has another. And France have another. It's 2-0 to France. 15 minutes to go. And Kylian Mbappe has scored his fourth goal of this World Cup. And he leads the Golden Boot outright. Duran towards Mbappe! Oh, Kylian Mbappe has just gone and done it again! Unstoppable! Out of nothing! The pass from Marcus Duran to the top of the box, escaped the traffic and unleashed it into the top right corner past the goalkeeper. It took a touch off the fingers of Wojciech Szczesny, but even that couldn't stop the power of that Kylian Mbappe goal. He has two goals in this game. Mbappe has five goals at this World Cup and now nine goals at all World Cups killing Mbappe my goodness 3-0 France over Poland yeah that's an unnatural position yeah. I would say with the hand out to the side perpendicular that is a penalty so Poland will get the chance to score one late one here but they'll get the chance to add a consolation and Robert Lewandowski will step up to take it Lewandowski from the spot. Hugo Lloris right in front of him Lewandowski stutters up and it's saved by Hugo Lloris Lewandowski will get a second chance at this penalty. Lewandowski, the record goal scorer for Poland's all-time, will get the chance to add one more. Lewandowski steps up, and this time he makes goods. Yeah, well done to... Uh, sorry, well done to France. Um, boy, i tell you what, Poland had their chances, which gives the winner of the next game hope, because the winner of the next game will meet France in the quarterfinals to be played Sunday morning New Zealand time. Of course, it was England taking on Senegal.
Here goes Senegal down the middle. Diatta getting in behind the defence. It bobbles around from the challenge from Harry Maguire, who just stuck a foot in that. Was it clean? Yes. Ball comes in from the right. Jars missed. And then the secondary shot from Ismail Saar following up. Went over the bar from close range. He was under pressure from the goalkeeper. Saar into the feet of Blake Jar. Left foot shot. Oh, and save. a big save from Jordan Pickford. Stuck out a big left hand. It ricochets Strong off his wrist. Hand. England on the attack. Here we go. There's a through pass now to Bellingham. who's inside the 18-yard box. Squares inside. Oh. And the finish is right there from Jordan Henderson. They have finally breached the Senegal defence. Jude Bellingham was played through in behind, in between the gaps, and Bellingham linking up with a low cut cross to Jordan Henderson, who sweeps it in with his left foot. He's found Foden to his left, cuts it back across. Here's Harry Kane, takes a touch. Kane! Harry Kane, right before half-time, England's counter-attack, England's captain, England 2-0 up. Here's Harry Kane now for England. Stepping forward, wants the shot. Oh, and oh, Edward Mendy. Mendy's fumbled it, but it stopped right behind Edward Mendy and didn't roll any further to goal. Again, picking up a lot of ball deep. Here goes Phil Foden, skips around one, plays Great across. Bukayo Saka, clips it in. Bukayo Saka, the two young stars combining. Phil Foden, Bukayo Saka. The next generation of English football playing great English football right now. Squared centrally, Jeju. It's a nice passing sequence. Yeah, flings it back out wide. Long cross will come in. Jeju rises and if it's only, over the crossbar. If only there was a finish to the end of that move. But that is full time from the Albate Stadium. England's 3-0 winners over Senegal and marching into the quarterfinals where they will meet France. Yeah, indeed. And after 10 o'clock, we'll bring you some reaction from Gareth Southgate because we will go live across to the UK and catch up with Andy Buckley, BBC football commentator, get his thoughts on that England performance. They take on France Sunday morning, New Zealand time. Do they give themselves a chance? Uh, England high on confidence? France defending world champions? Poland at times made them look a little vulnerable. Mind you, there were points in that England-Senegal game where Senegal had their chances as well. Mouthwatering. England just don't want to go to penalties. They just will not win on penalties. They need to be positive. If France press, though, how does England handle it? Is there some weaknesses in that English back four? Uh, tomorrow morning, looking forward to this, 4am, the first game, Japan up against Croatia. Croatia, finalists from four years ago. Japan, well, the big upsetters of this tournament. Can they continue? Can they be that team that captures everybody's imagination? There are going to be upsets. And then, of course, Brazil, South Korea. Can Brazil beat South Korea? Everyone wants to see Brazil go through. Everyone loves Brazil. They play football the way football should be played. We'll talk about that on the show tomorrow night. Of course, you can get live coverage on SEN, on the app, from 4am and from 8am as well. 26 minutes after 9, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're talking baseball. Dale Budge on the programme. Pitch. That's a hard hit ball going back to left field. Back, it's Bielski on the track, it's gone. Two runs, this game wide open for the Tuatara and puts a deposit on a series win. 4 1, your new score. As he got all of that, and all Bielski could do was look over that north, rest, north side rental sign. And that's a big blow for the Heat. So, highlights there of the Tuatara. Victory in a series win over the Perth Heat. Not an easy place to travel to. Not an easy place to come away with a three games to one series victory. 
this week. North Harbour Stadium, Friday night, two games, Saturday, 3 o'clock and 7 o'clock. And then Sunday, 11, the Tuatara are back at home and they take on the Melbourne Aces. To reflect on the Perth series, Mr Baseball himself, Dale Budge, joins us on the programme. Dale, good evening, welcome. Hey, what We spoke last week, the importance of winning game one away from home. That was Friday night. The Tuatara got the job done by two runs to nothing, which, as you said, just takes a little bit of pressure off going into games two, three, and four. Oh, absolutely, mate. I think, to be fair, it's, it's wherever you go. You know, at home, it's just as important, but... Uh, you know, I think the Tuatara went across to Perth to at least split the series. That was sort of uh, the minimum goal was split the series. That's generally how teams operate. You win your series at home, you, you um, defend home patch and you try and split them on the road. If you do that, chances are you're going to be a playoff team by the end of the season. So I uh, went across and it's a tough road trip. You know, like Perth are a pretty strong side. They've had a reasonable start to the season. Um, it's a long flight. Not only is it the long time spent in a, in a plane, it's then adjusting to the uh, the travel time, the, the change in time zones, um, it's not just you know a couple of hours to, to the eastern seaboard of Australia, it's, it's all the way across the other side, so your body clock just takes that little little bit extra to um, get used to it, and then the, the heat, not the heat the team, sorry, excuse the pun, the heat over there in Perth and WA, it's just so much hotter than we're used to here at certainly this time of year, so just all of those things. You, know, you have to adjust. So uh, to come away with a 3-1 series win, the Tuatara are absolutely stoked. And I spoke to Mitzi earlier, and um, he's absolutely bouncing off the wall. So 3-1, really, really good result. Mm. Uh, we saw the result yesterday in Game 4-4-1. Four, four, um, we've talked about this franchise. Ultimately, the goal in the long term is to have more Kiwi players than we do have import players starting, preferably 90, 80% of the team being New Zealanders. I mean, how good are Jason Matthews and Clayton Campbell been? Uh, another really, really impressive performance coming from Campbell, a home run, now batting three oh four. Yeah, yeah, the Juicy Boys getting the job done. So uh, they're, they're cousins. They've, they've named themselves the Juicy Boys. They've got a Juicy rental van that they're driving around in while they're in Auckland. And uh, that the families have sort of picked up on on, on that and it's become the little, the little name that they operate by. And, and you know, they delivered the, the, the series pinching win yesterday. I mean, Baranta was... Was outstanding to, to you know probably didn't actually have his best stuff. We're, we're brutally honest, but found a way to get himself out of trouble. Found a way to get on the six innings of one run baseball, and then Matthews drove in the go ahead run in the top of the eighth, and then Clayton Campbell brought it up with a two run dinger uh, to break it open and, and give the Tuatara that breathing breathing space with the Padres you know relievers uh, to, to go and, and get the remaining outs. Yeah, huge huge performance from those guys. I mean, look, the New Zealanders combined and the Sunday night. Um, uh, Saturday afternoon fixture as well. Ben Thompson, uh, Connor Gleeson, Elliot Johnston sort of combining to get the, the win there as well. So, yeah, really good to see the New Zealanders contributing at that level. We're, we're confident with the players that we signed out of New Zealand that they would be able to uh, not just play but succeed at the ABL level and um, certainly seeing some good signs from, from the Kiwis at this point. Yeah, little glitch there. One of the games we ended up losing um, by seven runs to one. What did we put that down to? Mincy uh, just going all out to get those first two wins. So used a lot of the bullpen. The, the, the Perth Heat didn't use their bullpen a lot in the first two games. Uh, I mean, I guess when you certainly one of them when you're chasing the game, you, you try not to, um, you know, risk future results when you. Yeah, you know, that's that's the difficulty of a four game series. You've got to manage your bullpen, manage your arms. And so, um, you know, Mincy talked about it uh, beforehand. and Said if he had an opportunity to win games in the first two first two games of the series, he was going to go all in on it. 
and spend whatever he had to spend to, to get those wins. Um, and so the third one was just about being smart. We knew that the Padres relievers weren't going to be available. Um, Chase Walter and Jason Blanchard are probably the two best bullpen arms that the Tuatara have. Weren't going to be available on the Saturday. You need a Barata, who's probably the most reliable starter that the Tuatara have at the moment, um, was going to go Sunday. So you thought, OK, well, Sunday Sunday should be taken care of with, with that. Let's go all out Friday and early game Saturday, try and get those wins. Yes, it leaves you a little a little vulnerable Sunday uh, the, the Sunday night game. And, uh, and she just decided to not wreck any arms. Uh, roll with it. We're in that game. You know, they were in the game for a while. Back end of it, Perth. That Perth hitting lineup is is powerful, and um, they flexed a little bit of muscle there, and, and they were the better side uh, right across that game. So, you know, fair play. It's it's going to happen in baseball. How big a challenge the Melbourne Aces this weekend? Oh yeah, huge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these guys are two-time defending Claxton Shield winners. Uh, coming here, there's a little bit of history between the two clubs. They they get on well off the field. There's there's some good camaraderie at, at board level. Um, but on, on the on the diamond, you know, the two sides that have got a little bit of history played obviously in that final series in 2019-20 when uh, Tuatara had the big home crowd, but the the Aces got the job done and of course went on to win the Claxton Shield that year and get their breakthrough win. Um, they haven't played as well as they would expect. You know, that's a really good lineup. I think there's five ex-major leaguers in that Melbourne Aces side, and you know they're languishing on third spot from memory um, in the standings in their in their division, the other division to the Tuatara. So. They come here really needing to make make something of this series. They have to. I'm sure they'll be aiming for at least two games, if not more, um, in, in Auckland. And um, Tuatara will be looking at going. Well, let's get let's throw them that Friday night game. It's so crucial. You get you get that one. You just come to the ballpark on the Saturday, feeling a little more comfy, a little more relaxed. And you can excuse me. You can take some chances. It means if you drop that opening game, you have to be really, really sharp. You rely on your Saturday players, your Saturday pitches to get the job done. Um, you don't have that freedom that Mincy had to mix and match and, and target a couple of games and be prepared to drop one to win the other two. Um, and so that's, you know, that's again, it just shapes, as, as it always will, that Friday night game is, is absolutely crucial. Mm. Yeah, Dale, um, in terms of what the Tuatara have achieved so far, almost halfway through the season, um, if you're the remaining teams in this Australian Baseball League, what's your... How are you interpret? How are you starting to interpret this Tuatara side? I'd like to think that they they see the Tuatara as a genuine title contender. I mean, I, that's the way I see it. I think um, we're slightly ahead of where we hope to be at this, this point of the year. I think um, it's a tough schedule to start with but of our own doing. We asked, we we certainly requested to have um, more games, more series away from home, uh, away from home in the early part of the campaign when the weather's not so reliable here in Auckland. Um, and then finish with a with a stronger home schedule. So that is the case. There's, there's more um, home series to come in there away. Only two more away trips, and they're both just shooting across to the eastern seaboard. We've played the two best teams in our division away from home, and we've had the toughest long road trip when you go all the way to Perth. And to be in the nine and six uh, position at that point, I think you know everyone's pretty upbeat and happy. I mean, look, there's, there's still plenty to work on. Um, the pitching across the board is not quite. Uh, where we'd like it to be. I think you'd like to see it um, you know, have four, four games a series where you feel you can get wins, and I'm not sure that we're quite there yet. Uh, certainly some improvements, though. Yeah, Dale, is that is that a work on, or are we finding out that perhaps the quality is just not there without being too harsh? Uh, a little bit. 
bit of both. I think there's still a thing. Um, look, I, I sort of mentioned earlier, um, Wasting Lynn hasn't probably given us his best stuff through the first part of the season, and so that was a little bit of a question mark, but he pitched really well. I thought he might have actually been our most impressive pitcher over the weekend in Perth, so some really good signs there. If he can if he can make that more of a regular thing than, than perhaps what we've seen so far, he could be a, a really effective arm out of the bullpen. Um, Chen Yu has shown bits and pieces. I thought he was really good out of the bullpen in Brisbane. Obviously had that terrific start against Canberra. And he's just caught off the last couple of series. Haven't been quite where he had been. He's a young guy, so you're going to get a little bit of fluctuation there. Um, some of the New Zealanders, I think, you know, Elliot Johnson looked really good on the weekend. Um, he's picked up a bit of a knock, so there's just a little bit of a question about hanging around whether he'll be okay to go for this series. So we sit here, fingers crossed, because when he's at his best, he, he looks a really, really competent player at this level. Um, Connor Gleeson sort of still fighting his feet. This is his first pro contract. Um, he's done everything since he's asked of him so far. He's come in, he's thrown strikes. Um, just whether he can do that consistently against really good pitching and, and not get touched up. Um, yeah, he's, he's shown, as I say, some good signs, but I'd like to see a little bit more there before you start feeling really comfortable with your whole rotation. You, you go through every team in the league and you, you think that just about every team's in the same position. There's no one that's absolutely got it all sorted this point of the year. Mm. And so that's the, that's the question. Look, if you are going to make changes um, and bring guys in, and that, that is an option. Um, and obviously, with the start that the Tuatara's had in the coming series, we'll be halfway through the regular season. So... Um, if you're going to make a change, you need to do it. They're obviously in contention, so that is a factor. But you also need to make sure that the players that are here have had an ample opportunity to showcase and the sample size is big enough to, to make that call. And I think we're just sort of in that, maybe this um, the weekend just gone, but this coming weekend will be pretty defining in terms of, in terms of that. Mm, okay, Dale. So we look at it um, when we look at the northeast division. We've got Brisbane, Auckland, Camera, and Sydney. We've got the Bandits on top, thirteen wins, three losses. We've got the Tuatara nine and six, but that should end up being ten and six with the game that was washed out against Sydney resuming and Tuatara in a pretty good position. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was a three-run lead um, with uh, just over an inning left in that one. So if the Tuatara can get the job done and not uh, not give up some runs, then that um, that very little brief cameo we're going to have when. We head to Sydney before Christmas. Um, yeah, that should hopefully be another another win there to, uh, to add to the tally. Yeah, and the Cavalry 8-8, eight and eight, and then Blue Sox have been disappointing, but are not as bad as perhaps their record reflects. Just the two wins, 13 losses. On the other side of it, um, the Adelaide Giants um, probably been proven to be the bit of a dark horse. 11 wins, 5 losses. The Perth Heat, 8-8. Eight and eight. The Aces, 6-9, and nine, who we play this weekend. 6 wins, 9 losses. And then you've got the Geelong Korea team, just the 5 wins and the 10 losses. What do you make of Adelaide? Are they the real deal, Dale? I don't know what to make of that that, um, that division. That, that Southwest division is tight. Like Geelong Career look really good at times too. It's hard to know quite where they sit compared to the others. I think the cream of the, the northeast is clearly Brisbane and Canberra. I think you know as, as, as much as I agree with you, Sydney are better than their record suggests. They're not quite at the same level as Brisbane and, and Canberra. In fact, you know I, I'm not. I keep sort of waiting for Brisbane to, to lose some more games. They've had a phenomenal start. They thoroughly deserve to be in the position they're in, but I'm not sure they're that much better than Canberra or, or ourselves. I think there's three three teams pretty evenly matched. So we'll see how that shakes out over the next two, three weeks, whether that sort of swings and roundabouts comes back to a fairly even, even division. But the other one's wide open. Honestly, I, I, you know, Melbourne on paper looked really, really good. Um, yeah, I would have said on paper they were the team to beat. Perth probably the, the one most likely to challenge them. Uh, Adelaide had been 
great job. They're very competitive, and you know they had a, got the brooms out, had a sweep on the on the weekend. Um, yeah, they're, they're the form team at the moment. So, I, wide open, it makes a lot of will, will cause some teams some trouble. In fact, you know, like I still wouldn't write them off as being a playoff team at this stage. You know, I think there's enough there. We've seen they've got some really good players this time around, so that'll be a, a big challenge. And um, you know, if things continue standing, sort of continue where they are for the next two three weeks. By the time we get to Geelong Korea, we'll be worried about bananaskins and whatnot. OK, Dale, um, reasons why people should get along Friday or the double header on Saturday, 3 o'clock and 7 o'clock, and then, of course, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock at North Harbour Stadium. Give me the sell, mate. I don't need to sell it. I've already told people how good it is. I mean, I said, look, just go along for the novelty factor. Once you come, you'll get the addiction and you'll keep coming back. But somebody else does. Yeah, look, oh, mate, it's, it's, a, it's a great sport. And even if you're, you're not you know, fully into baseball, Come along and check it out because you do have a good time. It's one of those sports where it's more than just about the, the sport it has to be, you know, to attract an audience. It has to be an We seem to try to put that on. The, the team are likeable. You know, it's a good bunch of guys. You sort of feel like they represent the brand really well. Uh, they live to live with the fans. You know, you, you can basically walk right up to the, the edge of, of the team's dugout. Guys will sign photographs and chat to fans in between, in between pitches and in between the bats and whatnot. So... Um, and look, there's the opportunity to win a year's supply of South Pizza. You bring a glove along, you catch a, a, a home run at Tuatara Park this year, you win yourself a year's supply of South Pizza, and that always goes down a tree. Is that why you sit up in commentary with me with your glove, Dale? I need the glove, Mark. I don't trust my hands these days. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dale. Hey, look, lovely having you on the program, and we do look forward to this Friday night, and we do encourage people to get along to North Harbour Stadium. Dale Budge talking all things to Atara. It is 15 minutes away from 10 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. We'll take a break. When we come back, we might just talk sport because coming up after 10 o'clock, Andy Buckley out of the UK to review that England performance, and then we'll talk some basketball around about 10.30 tonight as well. Did you mean to put your mic on? Because I'm enjoying listening to dulcet tones of water. Yeah, baby. Let's get it going. A little bit of gangster. Always remember this back in the early 1980s, sitting at home watching, what was it, radio with pictures, I think, and they used to have this on about, they always used to have the countdown on about 5.30 on a Saturday or a Sunday. Always remember this coming out. Always remember the video of the school kids. Anyway, uh, Pink Floyd. Right, it is nine minutes away from 10 o'clock. Coming up after 10, Andy Buckley out of the UK to reflect on that England performance this morning against Senegal. What chances does he give England against France? Where does he see the weakness in the French team? Where does he still see the weakness in this England team? And then we're talking some NBA basketball at 10.30. Enlighten me a little bit here because this is something you've arranged and organised. Yeah, we're, we're getting a uh, senior sports writer from Sporting News Australia um, to join us to talk about the Boston Celtics, who are off to a flying start in the NBA. They are having a historic scoring season, Watto. Um, among all metrics, uh, 24 games in, they rank first in scoring three-point three point percentage, free-throw percentage. What about or- winning percentage? Yeah, they lead the league 19-5 and five record, so they are hot. Is that a good thing, though, this early in the season? 
It's a good question. Have they peaked too early? The thing is, they are flying at one end of the court, but they are nowhere near the defensive juggernaut that they were last year. So they've still got a lot to fix, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's easy to look at their record and say they're the best team, but I guarantee you that coaching setup, that coaching camp is saying we've, we've still got a lot of work to do here. Are the Celtics your team? No, not even slightly, but my flatmate is obsessed with them, so I have to consume a lot of Celtics content because of him. Who are you? Who am I? It's a great question. I ask myself that every day, Water. Um, I don't actually have an NBA team um, because the way I view a lot of American sports is it's kind of like a players' league if you're not from there. With the- I agree with that. I mean, that's part of the reason why I think basketball is so successful and it's the fact that you've got the teams, but also within that you've got so many individuals, you've got so many records. But there's also an individual that suits, there's an individual who's, let's use the word brand or attitude, fits every sort of genre. If you're slightly, let's say you think you're slightly gangster, there's a player that'll fit that genre. If you're somebody who's a bit more technical and loves the the three thrower, Mm -hmm. there's the Steph Currys, you know. Um, You like that player with the attitude, you know. Um, there is there's a player for everybody that you can endear yourself to. Yeah, totally, and that's why my favourite player is Giannis Antetokounmpo because he is unapologetic. Is he the Greek player? Yeah, he's the Greek freak. Yeah. He is unapologetically. A really nice article on him, and what a remarkable story. That's a great story. That's why I love him. Um, yeah. You know, he's an immigrant. I'm an immigrant. I relate yeah. to his story. Apart from being an NBA champion and being good at sports. Oh, I know you're an attractive man. Have I told you tonight you're an attractive man? Oh, you may have mentioned it once or twice. You Maybe can once say or it twice. Again. Say, yeah, no, you're an attractive man. Don't ever let anyone tell you you're not an attractive man. Hey, thanks, Water. I really appreciate it. Have you got it. a girlfriend? I do. Of oh, seven years, okay, mate. Okay, I was about to say you're a smart man too, but <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that, should I? That's uh, just a bit of bloke. You might watch too much Married with Children growing up, Al Bundy. Uh, my dad loves that show, but you couldn't get away with it. Now I was watching an episode the other day, and he's he's in the shoe shop. And there's this, uh, I'll be blatant and bloke talk. There was this, you know, this hot girl walks in and, mm-hmm. you know, slender and, yeah, you know, an attractive lady and everything. And he's talking to her. And then another woman walks in who's a rather large woman and he ignores her because he's too busy focusing on this young skinny blonde thing. And she's so furious, this slightly larger woman, and says, Am I invisible? And Al Bundy goes, Maybe from Pluto. And I just sat there and I thought, you just couldn't do that today. You just couldn't get away with that now, you know. Uh, yet it's still on TV. You can still find it on one of those sort of uh, retro TV channels that sit somewhere between 1 and 10 on the sky list. But, boy, it's amazing how times have changed. It's interesting just on comedies there because they reckon even shows like Friends now with the way, say, um, society's moved on and the way we treat people differently now. There's even episodes in that which probably aren't deemed to be acceptable now they reckon one of the ones that's ageless though is still Seinfeld there's nothing really in that that's you would consider I mean let's be honest it is a bit of a woke society isn't it that you would consider to be um, inappropriate Mm. yeah um, Seinfeld is timeless oh brilliant brilliant genius Um, genius but the way I view it is that a lot of these shows are products of their times. Absolutely. And so they shouldn't be judged st- now. You can still enjoy them for yeah. what they are. And um, you don't have to watch them if you're offended. Absolutely. Like I read Casino Royale, yep. the Ian Fleming book, and very misogynistic, very sexist, but an excellent book. Yeah. Excellent spy But film. you're also smart enough to know that that's not you. 
Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, you'd hope so. Well, I, well you, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> I was giving you the benefit of the doubt, big fella. What, you're telling me you're not? No, 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 definitely. Let's am. get your girlfriend on. What's her name? Uh, Anna. 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 Should we phone Anna and find out? Yeah, she'll probably be sleeping next Get alive. Yeah. Get alive on the show. <laughs> Isn't it a misogynist? Is he a chauvinist? Taking your calls on... Okay. Anyway, we're losing the plot a little bit. It is coming up to four and a half minutes away from 10. You're listening to SENZ. We talk football with Andy Buckley coming up after 10. One minute after 10, you're listening to SENZ updating the cricket. It is Brendan McCullum's England. Can I say Brendan McCullum's England? New Zealand's own Ben Stokes. Can I say that anyway? Pakistan 219 for five on the fifth day, chasing 343. I think this is going to come down to an absolutely fabulous finish. I do admire Stokes and McCullum and the England team for giving Pakistan plenty of incentive on a very benign wicket to try and win this first test. It's what Test Cricket needs. Good crowd in too at Royal Pindi. We'll keep you updated throughout the night here on SENZ. Very good performance from England this morning, beating Senegal by three goals to nil. We head now live to the UK to catch up with BBC football commentator Andy Buckley. Andy, good evening. Welcome. Good evening. Yeah, you okay? Yeah, yeah. You're watching the cricket? Uh, I've not got it on, actually. Now you've mentioned it, I will turn it on, yeah. I was talking to Josh Butler, actually, on Thursday. I'm hosting a lunch with him uh, next uh, week in uh, Cheshire. He's very kindly coming up from his home in Hampshire to uh, speak at a charity lunch. And uh, so I'm going to be asking him all about uh, what it's like being one of the finest one-day cricketers in the world, which I think is fair comment, isn't it? And being part of this exciting England side. You're not going to bring up that 2019 Cricket World Cup, are you, Andy? We might, we might. I'll record it for you and play it back to you, so uh, we can we can beam it live to uh, to you if you want, just to uh, enjoy it even more. But no, no, England have had uh, enough uh, uh, false dawns in the cricket, so it was nice just to uh, put one over uh, uh, the rest of the world for a change, as we did yesterday. It's Senegal's turn yesterday, France's turn next Saturday, no doubt. Yeah. Okay. So, what's been the reaction to this England team? Uh, off the back of that 3-0 performance against Senegal. Are, are people happy? Do they like what they've seen from this England team? Is it a complete performance? It is really, isn't it? I mean, they've got strength in depth as well. Sadly, we've lost Raheem Sterling. He's had to go home, uh, hopefully temporarily. But uh, they have got enough big guns in reserve to bring on if uh, things don't go quite according to plan. So, as we spoke uh, last week, um, yeah, it wasn't that impressive against uh, the USA, but uh, you don't have to uh, be uh, impressive in every game. As long as you win them, that's the most important thing, and it's onwards and upwards. And there is a great mood of not quite euphoria, because we're used to so many disappointments, really, and tripping up at the final hurdle, but there is a great, there's a wave of optimism, cautious optimism, I think. I think that's the, the strange thing. Uh, and also, it's weird watching a World Cup when uh, you're getting ready for Christmas. It's just absolutely bizarre. I went out carol singing, believe it or not. <laughs> the, the brass band were playing at the corner of our road and a few of the neighbours, we went outside and uh, sang in a few uh, uh, Christmas carols and then came home and watched the football. It's just like, 
it's life changing. I've never done it before. Um, so normally we're doing it in the rain in the summer, and uh, it's pretty dry at the moment in England. It's cold, but it's dry. And uh, you know, we're, we're all we're all watching the football, and we're all wondering. And uh, you know, it might be a happy Christmas. What? Okay, so there's clearly a lot of optimism there. But what weaknesses do you see in this French team? I mean, France have looked pretty good. They have looked pretty good, um, and I think. There are people who'd say, well, this really should might be the final. I know it doesn't work out like that. The two best teams, that's what I'm trying to say, really. Uh, I think there are weaknesses in the French team. Um, I don't think the... Uh, I didn't think it was a vintage French team four years ago, uh, and I don't think it's a vintage uh, crop of world players. Now, you might say, well, hang on a minute, you've got Messi and Ronaldo, but they're in the twilight of their career. They're not at the peak of their powers. Messi might prove me wrong with Argentina, but even so, I just don't think it is a a classic Argentina side. Um, and I think the French team fall into that category where it just hasn't got... All right, it's got Mbappe, arguably. Oh, come arguably on, come on it's, got, it's, got, it's got Dembele, Griezmann, Mbappe, Giroud, um, Varane. I mean, it's, it's not a bad side on paper. It's not, but I mean, Giroud, all right, he's, he's done all right in the World Cup, but he's not, uh, he's not one of the top-class strikers in the world. Um, Olivier Giroud. Uh, Griezmann, all right, he's done okay so far, but he struggled for a few seasons playing for uh, Barcelona and playing for Atletico Madrid. He's not the player that he was. So I just think we, we, England are a, uh, an emerging force. I know you've heard that before many times, but England are coming, and and basically they, these these are the players that are, are, could potentially. I mean, Bellingham's already doing it. Well, these are the players that could really. Uh, make history here and I, 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 it's a cup tie so it you know it could go either way on on saturday night but uh or sunday morning for you but i, I just think it's um i think that they're overrated france that's what i'm trying to say okay how do you shut down killing Mape? uh well you put carl walker on him for a start you don't put trent alexander arnold on him bless him but uh you put carl walker on him and you also put two men on him. I don't think he's he's uh, uh, might be the best player in the world currently. I don't dispute that. I think maybe De Bruyne is ahead of him, but um, uh, I, I, I think he is stoppable. He's very stoppable. Uh, saw him against City last season for PSG with Messi on the field, and he wasn't. Uh, you know, City did a pretty good job on on uh, Mbappe that night. So yeah, he's fast, uh, but he, he's nothing. You know, people like Walker and, and there is a question mark against England's defence, having said that, I must put that on record, that, um, you know, there's there's a few wobbles potentially there. But I think strategically, tactically, I think with Henderson and Rice in anchoring the midfield, you've got a pretty good shield against... And to, you know, and Mbappe's looked good, but a bit like England, they've not played, played a decent team yet, with all due respect to Wales and the rest, but they've not played a decent team yet, France. So um, when they come up against the calibre of the English team, um, then that might be a different story. Where does Jordan Henderson sit amongst English fans? Because a lot of people, he seems to be one of those players at the moment, either love or hate him. Did he play well today? Is, it's, was, was that seen as a good performance from Jordan Henderson? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think there were a few uh, grumblings and murmurs of discontent after half an hour when it wasn't quite happening. And I was one of them. Sat in my armchair thinking, hang on a minute, do we really need Declan Rice and uh, Jordan Henderson against what were a pretty limited Senegal team that ran out of steam? Um, do we need that? And 
then he pops up with a goal, so fair play to him. But yeah, he is one of those who does divide opinion. I know Liverpool fans love it, understandably so, for what he's done for Liverpool. But um, he's he's too similar, really, I think, to Declan Rice. And and Rice edges it for me. I think Rice is quality, top quality. Um, He edges it. But, uh, you know, fair play to Henderson. And, and, and I'd probably put him in against France. I would do. I'd put him and, and Rice in there just to act as that kind of barrier to protect our dodgy back four. Yeah, OK. So if if he doesn't start, who do you start there in midfield? If Henderson misses out, uh, well, you could be a little bit more uh, ambitious. You could put Mason Mount in there, maybe. Um, one of the more progressive players, shall we say. I mean... Henderson probably proved a point by popping up in the penalty area and scoring a goal yesterday. So, uh, you know, that, that's a, a great answer to his critics. So perhaps Mason might, might get in a nod, but I don't think he will. Uh, I think uh, Sterling, whether he comes back, I'm not too sure about that, uh, whether he comes back from England too. I think he will come back. Hopefully he will come back. You can never can say, because obviously it's horrific what happened to his family when the armed intruders uh, raided his home on Saturday night and, you know, he's had to go home. So it's very upsetting. And it, depends on what kind of mental state he's in but I'm sure the nation uh, will want him to go back and play a part if he can mm. The reason for starting Bukayo Saka ahead of Rashford what was the rationale there given? Um, controversial but understandable, I think Saka was rested wasn't he for uh, the final group game against the Welsh so he didn't do anything really. To you might say, well, Rashford didn't do anything wrong either because he scored two goals. But I just think Saka's got something special that even over and above the exceptional Marcus Rashford. So again, there were no complaints whatsoever among the pundits and among the fans with the selection yesterday. He was 100% agreed with the the line. Uh, admittedly, question mark over whether they needed Henderson, but it was justified. And I think Southgate this morning in England is is being praised for getting his selections spot on, albeit with a little asterisk against it because, uh, you know, we've got that question mark lingering against the defence. OK, Jude Bellingham, I guarantee his um, status and his value is increasing. Rumours that hopefully he ends up at Liverpool next year, but I'd imagine if um, England continue to progress, he will be an absolute superstar. Yeah, what, 19 years of age, unbelievable, isn't it? That strength and that power he's got from midfield, the way he created the goal for uh, Harry Kane through Foden. I mean, it was all, it was just absolute raw power and class and the speed of thought that you need to operate on at at that level. I mean, he could turn out to be, somebody somewhere is going to become a World Cup hero. Which country it comes from, we haven't got a clue. Uh, We're narrowing down the field. But it could be Jude Bellingham. It could be him. It could be somebody who's going to be a World Cup match winner. It happened to Iniesta, didn't it, in 2010. It happened to Jeff Hurst in 1966. And that's the magic of sport, I suppose. It's a mm. bit like you mentioned the cricket at the start, England and Pakistan. You know, somebody could emerge as a hero of that in the next hour or so. Um, you can always, you can always, that, that, you can that. end up as a villain as well, which is one of the tough things in sport, isn't it? You yeah. can be a great father, you can well, be a great son, you can be a great footballer, the consummate professional, and then you just have your moment for whatever reason and you have to live with that yeah. sentence for the rest of your life. It's a tough, tough thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gareth Southgate is a case in point. Missed the penalty, didn't he, in the shootout in Euro '96, mm. and ended up advertising pizzas. Uh, <laughs> that's what my wife knows him. She saw him on the telly the other day, and she just said, 
oh, he's the guy who advertises the pizzas, and that's how well, that's how he became famous. Yeah. Um, before, obviously, he's you know he's come back as, a, as an excellent manager. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Hey, you, you mentioned the defensive wobbles. So Walker, Stoners, Maguire, and Shaw. What's the issue here? Uh, well, I think Maguire has, couldn't even get in the Manchester United team. Um, Stones has played, he's, he's done well, Stones, but I still think there's a slight um, doubt about him. And even at club level, um, for Manchester City, there's, there's always been the odd moment, more historically than recently. But Senegal ran at the city, um, sorry, the England uh, defence yesterday, and caused. I mean, there was a, the distribution was poor from from England, particularly from Maguire in the first half an hour, giving the ball away needlessly. And we don't want those kind of doubts and anxiety to creep in against France. Um, so, and not just France. If England go even deeper into the tournament, how come you see that the English footballing? public see that, but Southgate doesn't see that. Well, who would you put in his place? That's the $64,000 question, isn't it? Who would, if Stones doesn't play, uh, would you put Dyer in? Um, so he believes that those are his best hopes. Um, and we've got to put our faith into him. We've got to believe that, that um, I think Maguire, there's a good player in there. It's just that it's not happened for him at Manchester United. There's a, and there's a lot of cases of of, of stories of players who've, whose careers have fallen by the wayside, shall we say. I'll mention one name as well, who, uh, Jaden Sancho, you know, missed Absolutely. out on England squad. Manchester United have just gone to Spain for some warm weather training before the Premier League season resumes. He's not even gone. He's, he's having individual training to try and sharpen him up, whatever the language that they're using is. So in other words, he can't even at the moment He's just sort of drifted at Manchester United, and 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 a lot of that hinges on whether your club's doing well. And they, you know, great motivators like Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. But, you know, he, he, Sancho turned down a new contract at Manchester City. He's despised by the City fans. Uh, went off to Dortmund, came back uh, to Manchester United for big money, and and he had his chance at City. Now I wonder if he sat there thinking, "Hang on a minute, if I'd have played the cards right and just stayed at City." Well, he would have been well looked after financially, let's face it. Um, his career, you know, he's got Phil Foden there, who's doing brilliantly. Um, <clears throat> and yet Sancho's on the outside looking. And Maguire might have just suffered from the, the, the malaise, turmoil, the upheaval, the, the problems that Manchester United have had. You know, City wanted Maguire. Manchester City wanted to... And then United outbid City. Uh, and, he, and he went there. So, uh, but... Southgate, he's more comfortable. What I'm trying to say is more comfortable at international level with his country than he is with his club. Quite often, players, when they go away from the club to join the country, they're out of the comfort zone and they struggle a bit. He's one of those in the exact opposite. He likes it at international level because he feels a bit, a bit more wanted, a bit more loved than he does at Old Trafford. Mm, okay, I'll just Andy get you quickly to just give us your thoughts on. The games that we've still got coming up tomorrow morning, New Zealand time, 4am and then 8am New Zealand time. We've got first Japan taking on Croatia and we've got Brazil taking on South Korea. Uh, following that, on Wednesday, we've got Morocco, Spain, Portugal, Switzerland. We haven't seen an upset yet. It's gone to form so far. This is the World Cup. Upsets are coming. Where's the upset coming? 
Yeah, good question. Uh, I don't know the answer. I know you don't, and I certainly don't. Um, uh, will it be the big four, Argentina, Brazil, England, slash France, uh, versus Spain or Portugal? Um, that, that's the, the big question. You know, can Korea and Japan continue this kind of romance of the World Cup and the, the way that they've... Uh, I just think it's going to go to... I suspect that, that, that the big hitters will come through now, um, and I think it could be the end for... Japan, it could be the end for Korea, and then it's Spain or Portugal, isn't it? I just don't know where. Well, Morocco plays Spain, Portugal plays Switzerland. Switzerland, to me, are that team that just niggly. I, I wouldn't want to be playing Switzerland, day. Eh? They just, I don't know, they just know how to get it done sometimes. They're sort of the, historically, what I used to call the Everton of the English Premier League. You just didn't want to play them. Yeah, but and then eventually you get, but I think their run will come to end, an end. I think it'll mm. definitely come to an end. I saw something about Tim Cahill before as well, who's part of the Qatar um, Sports Foundation or something. I've probably got that exact terminology wrong, but absolutely getting hammered in, uh, for the fact that he's part of the Australian setup and also being paid by Qatar to uh, help promote sport over there and obviously the questions that remain over human rights, etc. So... Uh, yeah, uh, but, uh, oh, I'm so, a man uh, who's you mentioned Everton. That's why I brought him up because he's yeah. hugely respected as a player in England. Oh, I, I struggle a little bit with all of that, though. I mean, I understand what's going on in Qatar, and it's not acceptable. But I mean, you go and look at China, look at what they're doing to the Uyghur minority over there in regards to basically ethnic cleansing. You can go and have a look at the foreign policy of the United States. We we sort of see what we want to see sometimes, don't we? True, we do. Yeah, we do, and uh, especially in England with uh, the way things have been run during COVID, etc., mm. without getting into the world of politics. But, uh, yeah, no, no, we've had Olympic Games that we've taken part in in China, um, and we've been to Russia for a World Cup. So, uh, you know, I suppose you need to to look in your own uh, room, really, to, to analyse problems. But, uh, yeah, this, that debate still goes on, though. It does still go on in mm. England um, about Qatar and the World Cup. But there's a... There's a other people have said, what a great tournament. It's all condensed, it's all centralised. No alcohol is no bad thing. People can feel safe on the streets. Um, oh, look, so there's, I, there's I, a lot of positives. Yeah, no, I think it's presented itself beautifully. Uh, look, I understand um, making a stand, but I just think at some point the politicising of sports events at a certain point just needs to end and we just need to get on and enjoy it. Uh, we had a Women's Rugby World Cup over here, which we ended up being in England in, but a lot of it early on was all about going back to women's rights. It was all about oppression. It was all about, I don't know, manufacturing the numbers, manufacturing the importance of it all. And it's just like, you know what, just let it organically grow. It is what it is, you know. We don't need to constantly yeah, yeah. be reminded of, um, you know, they had us believe that the only relationship between men and women's always been one sort of of oppression or dominance. And it's just like, let's just get on and enjoy the damn thing yeah. for what it is. Don't try and manufacture its importance. Yeah. The product will sell itself. Yeah. Yeah, and also, as you say, things evolve. And, and somebody made the point that when England won the World Cup on home soil in 1966, homosexuality was banned in England. Um, so if you think of how the world's moved on in the last five dec decades plus since then, so you'd like to think that uh, maybe this is a, a milestone within the, the Middle East and it's, uh, you know, um, the, the human rights, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they still execute people in the United States too, you know, but more than happy to look at the human rights of places like Saudi Arabia and Iran, etc. Yeah, so anyway, I mean, we can delve into that, but we'll leave it there. Andy, look, as always, look, lovely to chat, mate. I do appreciate your time. I'll update the cricket for you. So Pakistan, 231 for five. Target is 343. Uh, we're in the second session on the final day. There you go, Anderson, two for 23.
Thank you. Yeah, it's the, it's, it. the, it's the New Zealand influence, Andy, okay? It is. <laughs> Can I just end with one um, story, a personal story? Please. I'm going out on Saturday night. I've been invited to this black tie ball in the middle of Manchester with the Chief Constable of Greater Manchester and England are playing France at the same time. Dilemma. Well, I've got to go. No, you don't. I'm going to, uh, hopefully there's a big screen. Hopefully there's a big no, screen. Andy, Andy um, no, no one else is going, mate. No, I've been invited. I'm no one's going, though. All, the, the, all those invitees have suddenly, all those invitees have suddenly got a 24-hour case of COVID, mate. <laughs> who, organi- <laughs> who, org- who organises those things, though? Well, it's, it's, it's the, well, people don't look that far in the diary. They don't think, oh, England are going to be playing that night. They could have been playing Friday. They're actually playing on Saturday. I mean, um, the, uh, so it's just one of those things. But uh, I guarantee everyone will have. Every... I might have my phone switched on. Oh, I think you won't be the only one, mate. I've got a pretty sneaking feeling there'll be a lot of people in the bathrooms. Well, have you heard of a group called the Beautiful South? Pop group, Double Axe from Manchester. No. Uh, uh, some, well, look up the Beautiful South. In fact, you might want to, want to play one of their records. Well, we'll, uh, well, well no, we're gonna, I've just got but, Niv there, my um, producer, to go and have a look at that now, and we'll play some out of the next yeah. break. The Beautiful South. But, Do you want to sing some for us, Andy? Do you want to sing some for us? I can't sing. You know me. I can't sing on the stuff of the few. Did you, uh, you, did, you, did, you did get your suitcase back, didn't you? This is, the, the use, I did get my suitcase back, yes, thank you very much, about 17 days after it was spent in yeah, Dublin Airport. Yeah, yeah. But the beautiful South are performing in Manchester at the Manchester Arena, 20-odd thousand capacity stadium on Saturday night. And the lead singer, um, Paul Heaton, great songwriter, has said, look, I realise there's an issue here. We're in concert and England are playing France. We're going to sort something out. So I assume that they'll have a big screen or they'll delay the concert till 9pm our time. What's that about 9 a.m. your yeah, time yeah. Sunday morning, something like that. But uh, so, so that's the, that's the way we are at the moment. Cancel your plans for Saturday night. Oh, no, that's the way it should be. You've still got your t-shirts from Target. Still got, uh, well, yeah, obviously. Good, good. Just checking in. So, yes, I have. No, yeah, just I remember checking. that. Yeah, you just checking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, look, lovely having you on the show, Andy. Okay, beautiful South, don't forget, and a beautiful win for England. Can't be better. Brilliant, lovely. We might talk next week. Thank you, Andy Buckley there out of the UK. Andy and I um, were in Alabama this year at the World Games, which is sort of like the Olympics for non-Olympic sports, and he arrives in in Birmingham, Alabama, and his suitcase hasn't arrived, and it didn't arrive for the entire two weeks we were there. And, um, yeah, so we had to take an Uber to Target and go and buy a whole lot of cheap T-shirts and various... Um, sanit- I was going to say sanitary products, but you know what I mean, um, products and stuff. And so, yeah, that's always been a bit of a laughing joke. And he finally got back home and eventually his suitcase did arrive back in Manchester. There you go. Um, so, look, interesting discussion, isn't it? A lot of optimism there. I wouldn't write the French off. Um, you know, you worry about Senegal running at the England back four. Imagine what Mbappe's going to do to the England back four. I just cannot see England winning this with Harry Maguire. It's saying that he's playing better for England than he does for Manchester United. And the Jordan Sanchez example that Andy gave is an absolute classic. 23 and a half minutes after 10, we'll take a break. You're listening to SENZ. Tatum takes it away from Durant. And Jason Tatum might have just thrown down the exclamation point. The Celtics... And the Nets winning streak at four. 103-92 the final.
Yeah, Boston Celtics absolutely on fire in the Eastern Conference in the NBA. 19 wins, 5 losses. Ben Yamkadane joins us out of Australia. Mad keen Boston Celtics man. Evening to you, Ben Yam. Welcome. Good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, okay. Let's talk about the Boston Celtics. Is it a good thing being 19 and 5 this early in the season? It's a very good thing. The Boston Celtics look, they look like the best team in the league because uh, right now, through these uh, 24 games, they certainly have been. And uh, Jason Tatum looks like the MVP, which is probably a big reason why they're in the in the position that they're in. But, you know, as, as we kind of look at this quarterway mark of the season, they're, uh, they're, they're the clear number one for me. What, okay, defensively, though, are they as good an outfit as what we saw last year from Boston, from the Boston Celtics? No, they've definitely they've definitely dropped off defensively, and and look, I, I'm willing to give that uh, give that credit, I guess, to Robert Williams, who you know is their starting center, hasn't been uh, with the team all season. He had knee surgery, so the fact that they're still hovering you know around the middle of the pack defensively, uh, and that's without you know one of their key interior defenders, I think that's probably a credit uh, to guys like Tatum, guys like Jalen Brown. They've kind of done it by committee, uh, you know, with different guys stepping up on uh, on different different nights. Uh, to get the job done. But, you know, last season was the defense. This year has really been uh, about the offense. They're, they're clear uh, in terms of offensive rating as, as the best offense in the NBA so far. And, uh, you know, once once they do get Williams back and the, and the defense, you know, does kind of get back to that level, then, you know, that's a, that's a scary proposition for the rest of the league. The five games that they have, the five games that they've lost, has there been any... Um consistent reason why they've lost those five games? Is there something there that teams can tap into? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I mean, we saw them, you know, drop that game to the Miami Heat, you know, just a couple of days ago. Um, but, I mean, for the Celtics, I, I, I think, you know, they're, they're a team that is attacked, you know, on the inside. You know, they, they don't have the same interior presence. So last year they were really good at limiting teams to, you know, taking a lot of mid-range shots. And they were guarding them really well. Whereas this season, you know, they've been one of the worst teams in terms of uh, you know guarding mid-range shots and and, and letting um, you know teams get get those looks. And, and as I said, I think that really has a lot to do with the fact that Robert Williams uh, is out. But that's probably the one area that I think you know teams have maybe capitalised on them this season. That that has been from the mid-range. Mm, okay. In terms of injuries, who can they least ill afford to lose, and how much depth do they have on their bench? I mean, that's probably been the good news story for the Celtics this season you know, and has been the depth of their bench. Guys like Malcolm Brogdon coming in and, and doing a really good job. But you know, the obvious answer is, is Jason Tatum. He's, he's the MVP frontrunner. We saw him you know, had 29-11 and 11 against the Nets today and re- really just killed them uh, down the stretch. And you know, Jalen Brown, you know, whilst he's kind of looked at as the, the second guy on the, on the Celtics, you know, he's quietly having uh, you know, one of his best seasons, if not the best season of his career, but it's just kind of been overshadowed by the fact that Jason Tatum's you know, playing at the, at this elite level. So those are the two guys who obviously start, you know, for the Boston Celtics. But when you kind of go down the roster and you look at guys like Al Horford, uh, Marcus Smart, Derek White, they just have a lot of guys that come in and know what they're doing. Um, so in terms of depth and talent, you know, the Celtics, I think, will be pretty happy uh, with how their roster is looking uh, at this point in the season, at least. Okay, let's talk about their 34-year-old coach, Joe Mazzala. Um, what has he brought? And how does a guy at 34 years of age even get himself into the head coaching of a major NBA franchise? I mean, it sort of breaks from tradition. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw obviously what happened in the off season with the uh, the drama with the head coach Ime Doka, and you know there there was kind of talk that you know maybe they would go out and get a big name coach, but. I think the thing that pushed Mazzola over the line is that he has a great relationship with the players. He's a young guy himself, only, you know, at 34. There's, you know, guys, you know, guys on the team that, you know, at his age or older than him. So I think that relationship that he has and his ability to relate to these younger guys, you know, he had a great college career as well. Um, so he knows the game and, and you can see that that message uh, is definitely being delivered, at least in terms of their offense, because he's given guys, you know, a bit of freedom as well. We, we, we look at Jason Tatum, you know, as a guy that, you know, gets out in transition, can, can pull up and create his own shots. And, and we're starting to see other parts of his game uh, unfold. And, and a lot of it is just the confidence. So uh, from that standpoint, and, and, and then wanting, uh, you know, to go out there and go to war for, uh, for Joe Mazzola, I mean, he, he, he's probably been the best coach uh, so far this season. So it's, uh, yeah, a great start for him for his head coaching career. Uh, as you said, at a very, very young age, you don't see a lot of 34-year-old uh, head coaches out there. Now, he clearly inherited a very good team. They made the NBA Finals last year. But has he put his own signature on this team? Is it a different style that we're seeing? I mean, as you said, he, he did inherit a very good team. It's not like he's coached them up, uh, you know, from the bottom. This this is a team that, you know, came pretty close to uh, to winning the, the, the finals. But I think that's probably been the big difference uh, for them is that they've leaned on their offense uh, to get them out of games. Because last season, as you said, um, the way they were set up was to be a very, very stingy defensive team. But this year, it's been getting buckets on the other end of the court. The, the ball's moving as well. Guys like Malcolm Brogdon, I think, you know, coming in off the bench, he's been a big, uh, a big help for that because they don't really have a, a traditional you know, starting point guard. They start, you know, Marcus Smart, who's you know, more of a defensive player, can shoot the three. Uh, so in terms of creation, uh, guys like Jalen Brown, who historically hasn't been a great playmaker, not the best dribbler or ball handler, but the improvement that he's made uh, this season, we saw him have you know zero assist, uh, zero turnovers uh, in the game today. Um, so a guy like him coming in and being able to actually you know play make and create for uh, for other guys that's been huge. And and Al Horford as well, uh, one of the best playmakers as a as a big man. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, he, he's the veteran in the team. What does that experience bring to the dressing room? Well, we saw that last season. You know, this was a, a youngish team, and and it still kind of is. Um, but what he was able to do for them uh, in terms of the experience, he's played in a lot of big games, he's played in playoff games, and as have you know, a lot of these young Celtics guys as well. But um, we saw so many times, especially in the finals, you know, when the Celtics were in a little bit of a bind, his decision-making and that calmness that he kind of brings uh, to this team and the ability to also not just you know, score inside, but, but create and actually run the offense uh, through him. He brings that calming presence to the Celtics. And, you know, despite his age, you know, he's... You know, he, he spent a year basically not playing uh, in Oklahoma City before coming back to the Celtics last season. And uh, he looks as fresh as ever. He just signed a new two-year extension uh, with the Celtics. So he's, uh, he's doing his best to defy Father Time. OK, I mean, it's a long way away, but if let's say the NBA Finals were in the new year or the playoffs were to begin, or uh, who, who, who are the threats to the Celtics in the East? Well, definitely the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, Chris Middleton just came back for them. And for me, I think they're just as good a team uh, as the Boston Celtics. And uh, when you go down the list, I mean, Philadelphia, a lot is always expected of them. Uh, they haven't been as good to start the season. But then teams like Miami and Brooklyn, who, who kind of look a little bit off the pace. Uh, so it's an interesting mix of teams. I, I like the Cleveland Cavaliers team. They're a young team. They're an exciting team. Uh, but I think the only real uh, threat that I think the Celtics would be uh, concerned with is, uh, is the Milwaukee Bucks, because... For a lot of people, they probably could have won the title last season had it not been uh, for Chris Middleton's injury uh, against the Celtics. So they're, they're probably the most 
uh, well-put-together team in terms of contending for a championship uh, in the East outside mm. of Boston. The Brooklyn Nets, have they finally clicked? Okay, we heard that that four-game winning streak came to an end at the hand of the Boston Celtics in a little piece of commentary that we played, but we know how good they are on paper. Are they still a threat? Are they a team that, as the season progresses, can go on a run, can find some sort of unity? Yeah, absolutely. The, the the Nets are always going to be a threat because they have Kevin Durant. And, and I think that's probably been emblematic of the recent good stretch that they've had over the past couple of weeks. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Kevin Durant uh, you know, is probably playing uh, the best basketball he's played maybe since, you know, since, since coming to, to Brooklyn. Whether that can maintain the rest of the season, we've kind of gotten used to the, uh, the roller coaster that is this Brooklyn Nets team. But as, we, as everyone's kind of saying, if they can just get everyone out on the floor at the same time, that really has been the issue for them, whether it be Kyrie Irving and, and now Ben Simmons, uh, who's been sidelined for a couple of games. But as long as you have Kevin Durant, you always have a chance. But I think once you sort of get to this point of the season, Normally, it's by Christmas you kind of know what team you are, what kind of team you're going to be. And for the Brooklyn Nets, that could probably go, I think, maybe one of four ways for them. So it's, it's hard to tell with the Nets, but I, I'm a big believer in Kevin Durant, so I'll, I'll still give them a chance. OK, just want to look at the Western Conference. The Golden State Warriors, NBA champions, they've started the season with 13 wins, 11 losses. So contrasting form, I guess, to what we're seeing from the Boston Celtics. Uh, are you surprised by that, or is this just a team that's on the slow burn and come the pointy end of the season will be there. Yeah, I mean, at the start of the season, it definitely looked like the Warriors might be in a, in a little bit of strife. But I think, you know, the locker room tension or whatever boil over there was from Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, that kind of looks like it settled down a little bit. Steph Curry, uh, again, he's right up there in the MVP race as well. And I think for them, it's just figuring out the roster, given how many players they lost last season. They lost a lot of key rotation guys. And now they're, they're leaning on these young players to try and come in and... Uh, and, and fill some of those gaps. But I still think the Warriors will be there at the business end of the season. I mean, how many times have we watched them you know, manage a season and, uh, and end up being there, you know, whether it be the conference finals or the, or the finals. But I, I still think uh, this Warriors team, it's going to be tough because the West is, uh, is, is very, very uh, competitive. There's a lot of teams out there that will be gunning for that number one spot, namely the Phoenix Suns who are mm-hmm. occupying it right now. But uh, the Golden State, they're, they're, their experience kind of trumps a lot of things. And, and when you have a guy like Steph Curry, Playing the way Steph Curry's playing, they're, they're definitely going to be there uh, come come the pointy end of the season. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of interest here in the Memphis Grizzlies because Stephen Adams, our sort of sole NBA representative, starting centre for the Grizzlies last year. They took the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs to seven games. A young side uh, full of talent. What chance do you give them a, a year on? Can we consider them to be contenders? That they are serious potentials of winning this NBA, 14-9 and nine so far in the season? I mean, last season, that was kind of the, you know, get your feet wet, get in the playoffs, really make something happen. Uh, and they've slowly been building, you know. They, they, they had that series against the Jazz a couple of seasons ago and then obviously made the playoffs again last season. I really think this Grizzlies team, uh, again, just given their energy and their depth, and, and Stephen Adams, uh, he's been terrific uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies because everything he does is, is exactly... You know, it's the dirty work. It's the stuff that doesn't get noticed. It's the rebounds. It's the screen. It's the physicality. And when you have so many guys out there like John Morant and Desmond Bain that can put the ball in the hole, um, the balance of this team really uh, really stands out. And they have a lot of energy, a lot of young guys. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if they're the team that kind of gate crashes 
the end of the season in the uh, in the Western Conference because uh, if it's not this season, it's uh, it's definitely coming with Memphis. Yeah, because it's what it's, it's the thing, isn't it? It's not necessarily about winning the conference. It's often that team that just gets on that run that just gets that momentum, and we do see. I mean, let's be honest, you don't win the NBA in the month of December, do you? Yeah, absolutely, and it, and it's about you know getting that momentum all the way through and uh, and peaking at the right time, and you know the fact that they are a little bit younger. Um, you know, it does kind of give me confidence that, you know, they'll be there uh, and at least be healthy and ready to go. That's the main thing for them is, uh, is getting healthy and getting everyone out on the floor. And as it is for all the teams, because so much uh, factors in uh, once the playoffs hit because the games come thick and fast. Mm, OK, so in the Western Conference then, who is the best team? The Suns, the Pelicans, the Nuggets? Why not the Grizzlies? Who, who do you believe at the moment are the best team in the Western Conference? I've got to stick with the Suns. They're, they're, they're number one at the moment. Only just, you know, they're 16 and 7. The Pelicans are 15 and 8. But uh, the way Phoenix are playing this season, they've been terrific uh, on their home floor, 12 and 2. Um, and Devin Booker's, again, improved his level of play. Uh, they've done it all. You know, Chris Paul has missed a lot of time. So it's really been DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, and, uh, and Devin Booker and those guys uh, that have been doing, you know, the lion's share of the, uh, of the work there for the Suns. But this is a very good team, a very deep team. And, uh, and Aussie Jock Landale, he's, uh, he, he's done a great job since he's arrived in, uh, in Phoenix. But as you mentioned, the Pelicans, the Nuggets, I think they'll be another team that could potentially contend for the best regular season. The Grizzlies, the Warriors. And then you kind of have the, the Dallas Mavericks, the Clippers, the Blazers, the Lakers. They're all kind of in that, uh, you know, in that same tier. So it's going to be very competitive for seeding uh, in the West. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out and which teams can, uh, can keep the momentum going. Ben Yam Kadane, greatly appreciated. Love the insight. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. No, love it. We'll do it again. Brilliant. Thank you. 18 minutes away. Yeah, no, 18 minutes away from 11. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Got to be honest, I used to follow the NBA religiously. Then I got married. I'm not blaming my marriage for it. I'm not blaming my marriage for it. Don't imply that suddenly I'm not allowed to watch sport because I got married. I know what you guys are all thinking out there. I had a couple of kids come along and uh, then you got work and everything else. And, um, you know, and then you do sport for a living, I guess. And, you know, I just don't watch what I watch. I've got to say, Stephen Adams has piqued my interest a lot more now. Big Toronto Raptors fan, having studied in Toronto for a year. I was lucky enough to see Sean Marks play his first ever official minutes in the NBA or official seconds. My recollection, it was at the Air Canada Centre just opened and it was 37 seconds against the Cleveland Cavaliers, Sean Marks. That year, the Toronto Raptors had Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter as part of the lineup. You could pay 10 Canadian dollars, sit in the Sprite Zone at the Air Canada Centre and watch the NBA. Been very, very blessed, I guess, over the years at some of the sporting experiences I have had. Updating the cricket for you, Pakistan 254 for five. Target is 343. Pakistan need 80 more, 89 more runs to win. It's going to be a close one, this one. At the moment, I think Pakistan in the box seat. Lose another wicket. And that changes very quickly. 17 minutes away from 11. Uh, 
Niv, this is the band that Andy was talking about. What are they called? The Beautiful South. The Beautiful South, okay. I'd have to listen to them a bit more. I mean, they're different. Very experimental. Not really my style of music, but they say that art, it's about being the first. Mm. Could catch on. Just watching the review here. So we've got Pakistan, the moment in the box seat, 256 for five. Leeches Bowling, they've appealed for LBW and they've gone upstairs to the DRS. Doesn't appear to be a nick on the ball. The only thing that might go against them here might be height. It's going to be close, this one. There's definitely no inside edge. So we will watch this. So it pitches in line. It's going middle stump. And it's going to go over the top. And so the umpire's decision stands. And now Pakistan, 80-odd runs away from a famous test victory against England. Mind you, England gave him a chance. I don't know too many test matches in cricket history where you score 600. And what was it? 657 runs and you potentially could lose the test. And then you've got a side that scores 500 and something runs and you actually end up getting a result. But that is the style that England want to play. That's what McCullum want to do. They want to try and win. And they're happy to lose in the name of doing it. So Pakistan need 87 more runs to win. And according to ESPN Crick Info, they still have... 41 overs remaining. So they need to go, what, two runs and over, and they should do it comfortably. Lose another wicket, the game changes. It is coming up to 10 minutes away from 10. Now we've sort of um, put all our ads at one end. I do apologise for this. So we are going to need to take one more ad break, and then we'll come back, we'll wrap up. Six minutes away from 11 o'clock, I've got a feeling maybe tomorrow we might be talking about this test between Pakistan and England. Must be almost the end of the second session on the final day, which will mean that just the one session remains. Pakistan, though, I think on track at 86 more runs to win with a session to go. Five wickets in hand, but as we said, it can change very quickly. England have certainly had their opportunities. Salman is there on 30. Azar is there on 37. But I think that's what cricket needs. It needs results. It needs excitement. Brendan McCullum gets it. It'll be a hard one for England to take if they end up losing it. But that's what happens when you roll a dice. I'll always say this when it comes to gambling. Las Vegas was not built on winners. If you ever need a reminder, Las Vegas wasn't built on winners. They always say in gambling, the day you win big is the day you start losing. Best thing you can do if you ever bet is lose your first bet. Might be the deterrent. Anyway, special thanks to Niv. Put the show together. Appreciate it. If you are travelling around the country, do take care. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. And we look forward to doing it all again between 7 and 11 tomorrow night.